You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. This week, I remembered to turn the volume up. So already, we were off to a better start than we were last week. How about that? We're good to go. We're going to we're gonna knock this one out of the park, Todd. That's what we're going to do. That, that's my aim. That's what the kids Always. say. I've heard you don't have good aim. Um, I don't. I miss the ball constantly, especially at night, <laughs> like around like 2 in the morning. Got to get those LED lights around the toilet, those night lights. That's not, that's not the issue. <laughs> Yeah. The issue is you got to you got to like kind of lean into it yeah. and play pole position for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a streaming issue, not a not yeah. an internet streaming yes. issue. It, yeah, <laughs> your Wi-Fi isn't quite. All of a, a sudden, my my, it ain't my Wi-Fi. It's my Pi-Fi. <laughs> your Pi-Fi is clogged. I, all right, I quit. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Todd and Sammy back to talk about movies this week, giving you little brief history lessons on the wonderful world of cinema. We're going <laughs> being over 40. Yeah. Yeah. Being over 40. <laughs> we uh, get to say that going back in time a little bit to talk about uh, the incredible shrinking man from 1957 directed by Jack Arnold. Uh, that was Todd's pick. And then I chose planet of the apes from 1968 directed by, I believe Franklin J. Schaffner Schaffner. Yes, sir. Yeah, yep. that's right. Yep. Schaffner. Uh, so to, uh, well, I guess you could probably call these two seminal uh, science fiction classics, really. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that's a that's a good way to put it. Or maybe we should call them seminal, seminal. <laughs> no, no, not good. Anyway, um, yeah, cummy. Oh no, that's not that's that's really an ugly that's word. That's not a good word that's, for that's it. That's an no. ugly. That's that's definitely an ugly word. <laughs> that's a bad word. That would, okay. uh, I don't know if it's a bad word, but it's an ugly word. Certainly, it's just. Well, it sounds kind of just gross. Anyway, listen, I don't make this shit up. Yeah, you kind of did <laughs> at so, all. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Todd and I are big fans of the fifties uh, and sixties science fiction. Um, oh God, God, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we're gonna talk about some of that stuff um, this week, so it should be fun. Uh, 
we'll get to that. Um, we got another voicemail this week from our good friend Walter, who is becoming uh, the GGTMC voicemail. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but he's he's spokesperson. Yeah, he's becoming the guy. It's it's interesting doing this voicemail thing again. It's almost like starting over again. It's like, if you remember the uh, the early days of our show, I think we had like one or two people that would call in every time. And Walter, don't please don't don't take this wrong at all. Please keep calling in. Keep keep leaving messages. We love them seriously. But um, it's funny, you know, like the seal's been broken a little bit, but not completely. And I'm wondering when uh, the floodgates may open, or maybe they won't. Maybe people just aren't interested in calling into podcast anymore, but that's okay too. You don't have to. Uh, we're fine either way. But let's play our voicemail by Walter. And I got my screen share on this time, so this time Todd ought to be able to hear it. I still uh, plan on talking over it. Yes, you did a very good job of doing that last week, and uh, I thought uh, that's so. It actually added to the funny bit of it. So anyway, <laughs> here goes Walt. Here we go. As soon as it plays, there it goes. <laughs> this is Walter Kafka. You got your hopper in my hooper. Uh, it's getting a little lonely on these messages, but I uh, just wanted to say, appreciate all you do, uh, Sammy and Todd. Um, now, your uh, exegesis on uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, fantastic. Might be a masterpiece. Uh, after 541 episodes, unlike Toby Hooper, you did not peak too early. Uh, big news for me this week, <laughs> Road to Revenge, a.k.a. Gedevin, now out on Fancy Special Edition Blu-ray. Three versions of this movie. What a world we live in. Uh, look forward to uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Let's get small. There we go. All right. So Walt calling in again. And uh, it, it is funny. The um, For those who don't know about Road to Revenge, I mean, you'd have to go way, way back in the archives of our show. We never covered it. But it's something we've talked about over the years, off and on. Um, we've always been big fans of uh, ill-advised vanity projects. Uh, at least I am, anyway. Um, huge fans, uh, a huge fan of uh, you know these guys that get a little bit of money and decide they're going to make a movie and put themselves in the starring role. Uh, Neil Breen, people like that. I mean, I, I find these things completely fascinating because you know it's that want to be a movie star and you have no hopes of being a movie star type of thing that I, that I enjoy about it. Uh, but, uh, road to revenge, uh, also known as uh get even, or as, uh, Walter just said, get even, which is, <laughs> is, is funny because I mean, I do know people that call it that because of the way it's spelled. I mean, it's just one word. Uh, yep. I'm sure yep. you've seen it too, right? I mean, you've seen that title anyway. I don't know if you've seen the film. You've seen the film. Uh, I have not. No. Uh, I don't know if even film is even the word, but, uh, it's, it's well, a, that's the trick, ain't it? yeah, it's a train wreck and, uh, it is a crazy world we live in, Walter. I totally agree that, uh, we're getting some of these things on Blu-ray and you could argue that we're paying a premium for them and stuff. And, uh, and I would agree with that argument. Um, if I wasn't such an addict when it comes to <laughs> these movies and, uh, my love of them, right? Which reminds me, I gotta get back on Vincent and pick up that Alphabet City Blu-ray. So, I, mean, I think it's only seventeen bucks. <laughs> I think it's only seventeen bucks on there right now. So, don't know if that entices the Todd or entods the Tice. Uh, it entods the Tice. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're starting to raise, you're getting ready to start uh, refilling that wallet. 
you start refilling that wallet, that means you're gonna start refilling them shelves. Uh, I'm gonna be refilling nothing because there's <laughs> so little <laughs> coming out that I actually want to fucking put on there. Yeah, and I still have like a good year's worth of stuff that I yeah, gotta yeah. get through. You'll tell yourself that occasionally, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure that it'll yeah, yeah. my my impulsive you know yeah 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 junky nature will obviously come shine through it at, at some point or another. Me and Troy and uh, Brad, the guys over at Not a Bomb, we have this conversation a lot because uh, you know. I, you might not do this, Todd, all right, but I certainly have this problem, and I've joked about it before on the show, and you know about it very well, that I'll buy movies that I don't even like. If, oh, yeah. if the price is right, I don't care. I, <laughs> if it's got something uh, besides just the movie sometimes, I will I will purchase it almost day one. If it's got like a commentary track, especially, or... Well, here's the thing. I, I used to I used to be much more freewheeling. Oh, yeah. Uh, with what I was willing to buy. Sure. And then I got burned so many times with stuff that's so mediocre. I'm not saying that it's like, like I would consider bad purchases, but just stuff that's just like, it's just like, why? I I will never, ever, ever, ever take that thing out of its case again. Yeah. That 13 Ghost Um, DVD you bought, that remake. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And, and I guess that that's okay, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, eh, compared to what you have to spend to go to a movie these days. But yeah. by that same token, it's Good like, eh, but at the same time, now it's sucking up space. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's taking up space. Um, I've had to invest in uh, other means to get uh, uh, space back. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's a it's a it's a first world problem, though. So I'm just not I'm not even sure. And, sure. And, and obviously I'm. As as Todd used the word junkie, I am feeding uh, feeding that junkie fix, no doubt. Gotta fucking chase that dragon, Sammy. Ch- chasing the dragon, baby. Uh, let's get into a little bit of what we've been watching. You've been uh, up to anything lately? Uh, I'm sure maybe a crimmy or two. Hooray! I was. Um, <laughs> I watched the Indian scarf uh, from 1963. Uh, Alfred Warrior. Um, and. Uh, this one is uh, very much in the uh, the Agatha Christie slash uh, Ten Little Indians uh, sort of mold, and I think that uh, it it actually works pretty well. Uh, all all things being equal, uh, it's got the uh, the requisite uh, creepy old mansion with all kinds of secret passages. Uh, Vorer uh, shows some more of his uh, penchant or penchant uh, for those of you who are more affected uh, for uh, for POV shots. Um, this time from the uh, the killer's perspective with uh, like these gloved hands, um, you know, kind of on either side of the camera. Um, and uh, the, the thing that really kind of struck me on this one is that there's there's a couple of characters that give off a really heavy, heavy uh, Peter Bark, uh, Mariangela Giordano uh, vibe oh. uh, without being nearly as graphic uh, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and I really I, I like that angle. So uh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, yeah, there, I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no uh, uh, bare nipples or anything like that, or uh, you know, biting on said. Um, but uh, at the same time, yeah, uh, it's in there. Yeah, like 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 they say in the uh, the old uh, Prego commercials, it's in there. It's in there. Um, it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> when everybody thought they were Italian. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, and the only other uh, movie that I watched was uh, Midnight Run, uh, 1988, uh, wow. directed by Martin Brest, written by George Gallo. Um, 
Martin Brest, who who did uh, four movies uh, that I consider very good to great. Uh, you know, this one uh, going in style, the original, um, Scent of a Woman, and Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. Um, this, I wow. I'm glad you're one of them. App- you're one of them people What's who that? actually likes Scent of a Woman. I, I I despise that movie. I think it's good. Uh, do I think it's great? No. Uh, I also haven't watched it in about a good twelve years. So I don't know how I don't know how um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. how I would uh, appreciate the. Uh, I agree with Pacino's, all the, um, the other three though. The other three, I'm in, I'm in, I'm on board with you. Actually, I think uh, Midnight Run is his best movie. Actually, uh, it's yeah. my, it's certainly my yeah, favorite. No, I, I would certainly put it up there. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, yeah, yeah of, of the stuff of his that I've seen, yeah, yeah, he didn't yeah. work much. I mean, he well, he hasn't no. worked. I don't know if he's still around or not, but I, he hasn't worked much. I know that. Uh, yeah, no, I haven't known of anything. He's, dude, he only made, yeah, he made less than like a dozen, yeah, yeah. uh, movies. And I, I, I don't, I don't know what he's, did he die or did Martin Bregman die? I think Bregman died. I think Bregman died. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it, that's, yeah. uh, that's. It's a good one though. Excuse. I mean, I mean, uh, maybe it, he just moved into producing. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, as good excuse as any to watch Midnight Run is just because it's Midnight Run, but it's unfortunate, you know, oh, God, know yeah. Charles Grodin passed away and. Yeah, you know, I I remember when that uh, movie was being advertised and the trailer was playing everything else. I was like, man, this movie ain't gonna work. Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. I mean, those yeah, right. Those two just like seems like apples and oranges. It ain't gonna work. And then I saw the movie and I was like, this movie's amazing. When when did uh, when did uh, Grodin pass away? Oh, just last week. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So you watched it just on a fling? (laughs) Oh yeah, no, it was next on my pile. No, I. I didn't know that. Uh, all right, we might, that need, sucks. we might need to watch your pile. Your pile might be killing people. Well, it, it's you know I did have uh, Louis Trips over. Uh, Louis Tripp over to uh, yeah yeah put, no, his, I, put his laser pentagram on there. I think but... he just passed early last week. Yeah. Oh man, that's awful. Yeah, he was. I will he, say, I will say this: there, he, he does. He gives a fantastic interview on the uh, the Shot Factory uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. yeah, he's uh he's a lot of fun in that movie and. I love John Ashton in that movie. Yes, 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 he yes. He is yes. so good as the other bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Such an underrated Marvin character. Marvin Dorfler. Actor. Yeah, such an underrated character actor. I swear that guy. Yeah, he looks. I, I, I as I was watching him in the, this time around, I, I took a special notice to how much uh, he resembles uh, Michael Keaton mm. on screen. Just yes. maybe a, just a little bit heavier and yeah. a little bit balder. A bigger, huskier Michael Keaton, yes. Yeah, right? Yeah, no, I I got you now. I, I mean, I never but, would have uh, put that together on my own. Well, maybe I would have, but... Yeah, eventually. That's one that I've often thought about picking for the show, so... I did as well. But, uh, we'll but get yeah, to it no, I, I mean, I... Yeah, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, no, it's okay. I said we'll get to it someday. Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I absolutely uh, love this thing, and I consider this... Um, one of De Niro's uh, actually best performances. Yeah, he's really good. At uh, it. From what? What's that? He's really good. And I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. But... Oh, he is. He is. He. Uh, and this is uh, from before he and you know, ninety nine percent of Hollywood pissed away any goodwill uh, they had over the past five years or so. Which you know, I'll just I'll, I'll leave 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 it at that yeah. uh, because it's too early in the day to get into all that shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, and he gets uh, one of my favorite lines in the history of cinema. Uh, in a movie that's littered uh, with uh, with great lines, and you know, hint, it occurs during the uh, the bus scene, yeah. um, and the 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 uh, the Blu-ray also has a really really good uh, interview with George Gallo, 
uh, who uh, who wrote the movie uh, and wrote a couple other movies that uh, people may have heard of, like uh, Bad Boys. Um, but uh, you know, things being what they are, uh, and yeah, no, no, like you, well, like we kind of already touched on the, the rest of the cast is absolutely a murderers murderers row. Uh, you know, John Ash and Yafit Kodo, Charles Grodin, Joey Pants, uh, who who gives possibly his greatest uh, performance ever this side of the matrix i'm yeah. kidding of course this is his best uh dennis farina uh philip baker hall who mm-hmm. you almost don't notice um because he, it, his part he's maybe in the movie for a collective uh two minutes maybe yeah um but uh, you know the magic here uh is is the uh, the absolute opposite pairing of uh, of groden and de niro um and this is uh, another of those movies that really, you know, makes me long, uh, not only for, uh, you know, a cigarette, but for for back when you could smoke just about everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Because De Niro's lighting up every fucking scene, and I'm just like, oh my god, you're killing me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's he's up there with Hopper. Yeah. Uh, and like I said about you know being a great on screen smoker. Yeah. I don't know when um, I don't know when he quit exactly really smoking. Uh, he did at some point because I know it. Uh, I remember on a commentary track. I think it was for analyze this or analyze that one of those movies. Uh, he said that he only smokes the herbal cigarettes when he does movies and stuff now. But uh, I don't know what that is. But uh, I don't. I, I think it's like cloves. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, I mean, if if he never smoked, he's an amazing. Which I don't believe because you can tell when somebody's been a smoker or not. You can just tell. Oh yeah, when they smoke, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think every time I think of De Niro smoking, I think of the scene in Goodfellas where it slow mo pans to him when he decides he's going to have to knock some of his butt, some of his crew off. I think <laughs> it's playing "Sunshine of Your Love" maybe by Cream yep. or something. And there's a slow pan, and he's just kind of looking around, and you can realize he's making his mind up, which I think is one of the most brilliant shots in all of cinema. Uh, De Niro's been involved in a lot of those. So even though I know uh, his career seems like a bit of a farce over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, obviously he's made a lot of bad financial decisions and marital decisions. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes you got to put food on the table, I guess. Uh, Exactly, sure. sure. But uh, And I don't knock him for that because to me, He's been involved in so many seminal moments in cinema history. And I think that movie, I, I would consider that movie one of the top five best road movies ever made. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a yes, genuine absolutely. blast. I this, mean, uh, what is it, um, uh, the Claudette Colbert, Clark Gable, uh, Night to Remember? Um, uh, yeah, I think so. Or it happened one yeah. night? Or it happened one oh, night? Oh, no, it happened one night. Yes, yeah, it's happened yeah, one yeah, night. That's one. it. Um. That uh, trains, planes, and automobiles. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, four yeah. of the great Irre- uh, road movies. Irreversible. Yeah, that's a good one. There. Irreversible is a good one. That's up there. Um, <laughs> that's a one yeah. night movie that uh, you never want to relive. That one. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the one of those. Not, bo- not at least. Well, there's, there's certain fire extinguishers that don't. At any rate, <laughs> yeah. um, I think the fire extinguisher did okay in that scene. <laughs> yeah, no, it actually made out. Um, but uh, you know, hey. <laughs> oh, anyway. But uh, yeah, no, I, 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 uh, classic movie. Let's just call it that. Midnight Run is exactly. a classic. It's a classic. And, 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 and how odd is that? Because it's so, it so flies under the radar. A lot like Ronan does in a lot of ways. Yeah. 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 Um, the Frankenheimer movie that, mm-hmm. um, arguably, you, know, it, you the, just you don't think about it. Yeah. Arguably the best late cycle Frankenheimer movie, probably. Sure. 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 Probably. Um, 
And and De Niro, late cycle uh, De Niro. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. No, I, I've seen him in a few things recently where he's been really good. Obviously, we both uh, talked about it a long time ago about the Irishman uh, a year or so oh, yeah, ago yeah. and how good he was in that. Uh, but uh, you know, he still got it. He just um, unfortunately he he makes movies where you know I, I don't know. He just I think analyze. I brought up analyze this, and I think that was the beginning. I mean, that and meet the fuckers were the beginning of the. Well, uh, I, I, I don't. I don't begrudge somebody cashing a check. I, really I don't either. Don't. He made a lot of money uh, off those fuckers movies. He made a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, and and listen, I get it completely, um, but at the same time, you, you kind of have to be a little bit careful if you're not like a a, a bulletproof cash checker like a Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, uh, because eventually, you know, that stuff will start to chip away at what goodwill. Uh, yeah. And and what your reputation was built upon. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, and like I said, I mean, there there are there are extracurricular, let's say, things. Yeah. Uh, that have certainly played. And 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 this is you know and and not to get you know political, but this this kind of dives into the whole realm of you know separating uh, the art from artist sort of uh, oh, deal yeah. with uh, guys like uh, Woody Allen, Polanski, um, you know, all of that sort of uh, the, uh, shit. The problem to that extent, certainly. Yeah, the problematic uh, as. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, listen, if you're going to be vocal, I get it. Uh, you know, I understand that. You certainly have a right. But by that same token, then, you know, don't expect people to just be like, oh, well, okay, then, yeah, whatever. He hates this person. He hates this type of people. He hates that. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, no, it yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah. It yeah. just doesn't. Um, I don't think there's regardless. any such thing as an artist who eventually doesn't lose their goodwill unless they die young. Yeah, well, I think there are. I think they're they're the guys who just kind of walk in, keep their fucking mouth shut, do their job, and go home. Yeah. Uh, and there's increasingly fewer and fewer of those those folks. Uh, and you know that's, I, I think that's unfortunate. But I mean, if that's if I, listen, if if the majority at large is willing to put up with that shit, okay, fine, whatever. I I personally don't particularly care to. I, I know that there's uh, a couple of reasons that uh, I'm very kind of angry. That I'm most likely not going to be going to see uh, um, Jim, James Gunn's uh, Suicide Squad uh, in the theater, uh, and none of them have anything to do with James Gunn. Um, <laughs> and I'll just leave that one there as well. Uh, you know, people can parse that out however they want, um, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, but getting back to Midnight Run, um, this uh, this has one of uh, Danny Elfman's least Danny Elfman scores. Uh, and it's also, uh, funny enough, one of my favorites of his. Uh, it just works. It works, and it works so, so well. Um, the movie is it's just a hair over long. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I couldn't, yeah, it's like two hours and six minutes. But by that same token, I, I honestly, I, I would never want to see anything cut out of it. Mm. Uh, so, I, I mean, every inch of this movie works for me. Uh, and to top it all off, uh, Tracy Walter... Uh, makes an appearance. Oh yes. So, Tracy I mean, Walter has yeah, even worked really with Robert De Niro. Spot, you could not ask for anything more uh, in, a, <laughs> in a motion picture than no, uh, than what no, no. that run gives you. The only the only thing that would have made that movie maybe a hair better is if somehow they'd have worked Henry Silva in there, which I would have liked to have seen Silva. <laughs> I would like to yeah, see Silva and right. De Niro. I don't know if Silva and De Niro ever worked together. I would have liked to have seen that. So, um, I mean, it still could happen. Technically, of. technically, I don't know what. Silva's still around, but uh, uh, I've heard. Well, he's, I mean, yeah, I've heard rumors through the grapevine. He's uh, he's uh, 
he's around, but not completely around, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, all you got to do is look at something like Ghost Dog to realize that, you know, the oh. decline is. Oh, that's a, that's that's one of my favorite performances of all time. <laughs> 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 anyway, all right, so that's Midnight Run. We, uh, yeah. I, I talked, to, I, I watched a couple things. I watched The Outlaws, which is a Korean film, uh, South Korean film, I should say. I guess you got to, because there's not a whole lot of North Korean films. Um and this one stars Don Lee, who uh, Paul Gasari. Yeah, Troy. Yeah, there's there's that. Uh, Troy, <laughs> Troy uh, over at the not you know good buddy Troy over at the Not a Bomb podcast again mentioning that I show. I heard of him. Yeah, do? yeah, yeah. He had uh, been talking about this Don Lee guy for a while, and I knew Don Lee a little bit from uh, I think Train to Busan. He played like the older kind of middle aged dad. So this is a uh, Don Lee's kind of turned into Korea's version of like. Uh, Liam Neeson or maybe Charles Bronson and, and that he's becoming a star in his 50s and he's kind of this big husky uh guy uh he might or might not be wearing a toupee I don't know but uh he uh he's great he's got a really charismatic face he's funny he's uh he's intimidating he kind of looks like a uh, he kind of looks like a Korean Popeye or something but he's he's just He's just got a lot of charisma, and this movie was like with the forearms. Or? Uh, oh, you know, no, he's got big arms. Yes, he's. Uh, Does he? Yeah, yeah, he's he's quite husky. Nice. He he doesn't look like a movie star. He looks like a fifty year old guy who happens to have fallen into a movie star type thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's funny, and he's uh, he's got this like natural charisma that I think the camera just likes him, and uh, I really like this movie a lot. It's on Amazon Prime. I highly recommend everybody go check it out. Uh, it's really, really good. The Outlaws is what it's called. Amazon, who's uh, who's poised to buy MGM. Yes. Uh, yes. From what I understand, which, I mean, that's a frightening proposition. Yeah. I think you'll see more and more of that happen, actually. I don't think Amazon will be the last I do. One. I do as well. And again, <laughs> like I said, that is a frightening proposition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually surprised Disney didn't buy MGM. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll be go, surprised go, go if go back to number one. <laughs> yeah. I'll be surprised if uh, Disney doesn't buy somebody else. I don't think it's over with the Fox and the Marvels and everything else. And you know, with uh, DC kind of getting shoveled away by AT and T, I'm actually surprised Disney Disney doesn't go ahead and buy DC too. Uh, anyway, uh, that's that's well, that's a whole other business thing. It's in early this. in the day yet. Yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> and these guys play with big money. Uh, and then, uh, me and the kids watched, uh, the Mitchells versus the machines. This is on uh, Netflix. Uh, we checked it out. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, you know, it's, it was a good movie. Uh, the animation is really great. The animation is kind of like that animation, uh, into the spider verse head, you know, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. almost kind of frames missing slash CGI slash almost hand-drawn. So it's got this kind of nice, almost, uh, I don't know, tactile feel to it. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, the movie is, it gets kind of loopy and it's over long. It's almost two hours long. So, I mean, again, I, I, I have these weird peccadillos about certain things. I'll admit that, uh, I don't really like my animated movies to be over 90 minutes long. I, I kind of get bored with animation over 90 minutes. Most of the time. Um, it's just because, you know, I, I, I like to see the camera move and I like to see people act like people and stuff. So animation, even though there's a lot of great animation out there and this one does have great animation in it. Uh, you know, there's only so much, you know, explosion, animated explosions and animated cars going around and everything else I can look at before I'm like, Oh God, can you not show a highway again? But, um, I had a good time with it and the kids had a good time with it. So that's all that matters. Um, it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, 
you know, basically the, this is a small story uh, about a family who's overly connected to their technology and then has to, and then the country gets overran by technology. And of course they're the most incompetent family in the world, but they somehow save the day. So, uh, that's, uh, that's basically the gist of the uh, story. Uh, spoiler alert, but, um, it, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Danny McBride was a lot of fun as the dad, I have to say. And there's a I nice like Danny McBride. Yeah, yeah. And there's a nice father daughter kind of, uh, you know, obviously, you know, well, for those who do know, who have children and stuff, you know, there comes that time where your kids outgrow you or your kids are moving into their own life. And uh, it can be bittersweet. It's both what you want and as a selfish human being, it's what you don't want. So, um, you know, but you, it's something you have to, as a parent, you have to come to grips with. You have to come to grips with uh, letting go. So there's a nice little element of that in there, too. Nice little dab of it. Not too much, just enough. Just right. Oh, they're dabbing. Just right. Yeah, they're dabbing. I was dabbing yesterday. My daughter was having no, dabbing don't, yesterday. Don't, 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 yeah. don't, don't, don't. Yeah, if you have kids, uh, you're, you're dabbing more than you want to dab, let me tell you. That would be 0%? <laughs> yeah, so you don't have kids, so you're not, you're not dabbing. Unless Bear comes up to you and is like, you know, he does sometimes. And he starts dabbing. And then, then I say, oh, you're just an animated dog. That's actually a good two-way joke there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so that's what we've been watching. We want to thank Walter again. Everybody go out and buy. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. everybody go out and buy some uh, Vinegar Syndrome stuff and have some fun. And, yeah, they uh, have their, uh, their halfway to uh, Black Friday sales coming up very, very soon if it isn't yeah. already. Former sponsor of the show. I've never reached back out to him to get the stuff again. It yeah. re- it's really hard to cover all the stuff these people put out nowadays. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really, really hard. So that's the reason why I never did. So anyway, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. And yeah, there still is breaks. We're going to try something new. Ooh. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk about The Incredible Shrinking Man from 1957. We will be back right after this. The science fiction classic, The Incredible Shrinking Man. One of the best sci-fi films of all time. Skylar, what was that? I don't know. Some kind of mist. Look at your chest. They still too loose? Sure, even the cuffs are dragging. They do look kind of big. I'm getting smaller, Lou, every day. That's silly, honey. People just don't get smaller. There's no medical precedent for what's happening to you. I, I simply know that you're getting smaller. The x-rays prove it beyond any doubt. Are you going out? Yes, for a little while. Where? Just to the corner, to the store. You'll come right back? Well, of course I will. An innovative film featuring fantastic special effects. Charlie, maybe he's hurt someplace. Maybe he's lost. We've looked everywhere. With these bits of metal, I was a man again. If I was to die, it would not be as a helpless insect in the jaws of the spider monster. Do you remember those times when you kept a tarantula in your house? Uh, still do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that's not like how he says the spider monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because it is, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it was in the movie. Yes, it definitely is. All right. Absolutely. So, The Incredible Shrinking Man, uh, 1957, directed by one Jack mm-hmm. Arnold. Uh, when Scott Carey begins to shrink because of exposure to a combination of radiation and insecticide, medical science <laughs> is powerless to help him. 
So this plays on a couple things. This plays on not only radiation fear in the 50s, but it also plays on and the nuclear fear, but it also plays on, uh, you know, uh, the, the age old question is insecticide good for us or bad for us? Um, I'm, I err on the side of it's bad for you, but uh, uh, also err on the side and it's in everything you eat on the face of the planet. <laughs> Well, there's that. I mean, <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's it's prevalent everywhere you go now. You will not avoid it. So that is my science fiction quote of the day. Nice. All right. So let's get into this a little bit. Let's uh, let's dig deep. Uh, this is based on a screenplay. Uh, well, I think it is written by Richard Matheson, right? So it was written. It was, yeah, written and then adapted uh, by Richard Matheson. Yes, and I think Richard Allen Simmons has got a bit of a credit on there, but so they must have went through. And did a rewrite or something like that. But it's mostly known as a Matheson project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, stars Grant Williams, um, who you probably really only know from this. Uh, maybe yeah, he wasn't really a standout, yeah. uh, even back then. I remember him from some westerns back in the day, uh, mm. growing up. But that's about it. Uh, Randy Stewart's in here. She plays Louise. Clarice is played by April Kent. Um not really anybody else you would probably know. I mean, if you're a if you're a big hardcore movie fan, obviously I'm saying stupid things when I say that out loud. But there is Orangey who plays Butch the Cat. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> so this is uh, I c- I celebrate his back catalog. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Orangey uh, and Orangey plays a very pivotal part in this movie, right? I mean, he does. Yeah. If 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 the spider is memorable. Orangey is almost just as memorable as <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. as the quote unquote spider monster, as they said just a little while ago. Anyway, um, I'll kind of lead on this one since you picked it. Uh, I saw I saw this film. Jesus, I can't remember the first time I saw it. My mom was a big fan of this one though. She also, so when it would come on TV, we'd watch it often. Uh, so it's kind of a it's kind of a you know a big part of my life. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. uh, no, no pun intended, <laughs> a small part of my life, I guess. I mean, the, uh, Ooh, bad joke, huh? The, um, the truth is I've probably seen it, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30 times and don't even realize I've seen it that much because watching it again, I was like, Oh yeah, that's when this happens, this happens, but it still plays really good. And I think the reason why it does is because, well, first of all, it's only 87 minutes long. So it's or 81 minutes long, I should say. So it's super short. Um, but, also, it's crafty. When I when I think of this movie, the word that always comes to mind for me is crafty, um, and I and I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, the forced perspective and the kind of fun they're having with oversized sets, and the simplicity of the cat and the tarantula. I mean, these are very simple old school movie tricks. Of course, they were probably mm-hmm. quite new back then, um, but they're they're so kind of quaint and and crafty and kind of creative that they're they're a lot of fun and it's fun to kind of go back and see them and just watch them little moments like for instance you know one moment i think you know you don't think of this moment much when you think of this movie you probably think of the cat or the tarantula or the oversized chair and stuff but what yeah. one of the moments i always think about is the moment when he's in all the water on the floor and he's oh, yeah. he's floating on a pencil and or mm-hmm. I think I believe it's a pencil, and he goes over the drain, and you're thinking, well, he's going to go down the drain, but of course he doesn't because the pencil lays across the drain. Yep. And it's it's a little simple moment like that that makes me think, oh, 
It's just it is crafty. It is a crafty. Well, what animal. what I always think is of is uh, how disgusting uh, that old food that he's eaten uh, <laughs> must taste. Yeah, that he chops away at. I would say that uh, you know once you get to Scott's uh, situation here, you really don't have a choice. You're going to have to eat you, the old yeah, cake. Your, your your options are slim and none. Oh, cheese. Um, and that, but no, yeah, that no, mousetrap's fun too. Think, that mousetrap, that's great. That sound effect it oh, makes. Oh yeah. Dude, that fucking that the, the the cheese on that thing is both extremely delicious looking and extremely grotesque. Yeah, yeah. I just I want to point that out. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, no, I I I do think uh, you know, kind of uh, talking about the effects for a quick uh, second here. I mean, it's extremely good, uh, especially for the time. Uh, you know, lots of uh, oversized props, some uh, some decent mats, a lot of forced perspective and superimpositions, uh, and I think of. Um, and I, it's kind of, well, I guess it's not unironic, uh, but I always think of, uh, Lily Tomlin, uh, during, uh, some of these scenes, you know, not <laughs> yeah. for the, uh, not, not because of the incredible shrinking woman, yeah. uh, that she did, which is another movie that I, I, I love, yes. um, uh, particularly because of uh, when it came out in my life, but, uh, but from her, her, uh, the act she used to do, oh, yeah. um, from you know when she was we, she, she would sit in that giant rocking chair oh yeah uh, and kind of do like a little uh, a little soliloquy or a monologue or what have you mm-hmm. yeah, and then little... she would always end it with yeah but um <laughs> but yeah no that's that's what I always think of yes uh so yeah, yeah no, no, I, no, I, I, I didn't think of that right away it's interesting that it's interesting how that happens but now that you say it I mean obviously that you know is tied to that that big chair sure. of course I I think of this movie every time I see photos or my kids getting one of them big chairs at like a tourist attraction uh because we'll go someplace and there'll always be some oversized chair or an oversized uh, rocking chair or an oversized uh who knows what you know one of those just random tourist attractions the world's largest ball of twine you oh. know those ran those just random uh you know the, the clark griswold attractions that are out there in america <laughs> americana the griswoldian attractions of uh yeah. a modern america yes. well not modern america uh, of america and it's past yeah. really so but I, I think of that stuff a lot because you know this movie is kind of pivotal to that and I'd, I'd say that stuff has always been around and then they just figured out a way to film it i don't know if this is the first movie to use oversized stuff i don't think it is or forced perspective uh, no i think that um because they've been using forced uh, either perspective. devil doll or um i think devil doll would have been the first yeah maybe i may be mistaken on that they've been using you know these, uh, well uh, these tricks for some you... time i would say uh, i i i wish i could tell you like pinpoint it right to the beginning of forced perspective and stuff but i would say i mean it kind of goes all the way back to caligari in some way Sure, and I mean even before this, Godzilla had come out in 1954. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's certainly forced perspective in 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 that uh, movie. So yeah, I think and I, know, I think that um, uh, would uh, what the March of the Wooden Soldiers have done maybe that, or? maybe yeah. I you know I I I think that you know this movie's at its best actually. So it's a bit dry. In that, in it that, is a little on the dry side. Yeah, so like that, like that, that cake, like that cake. I mean, that spongy oh, cake. That styrofoam. Yeah. Well, the, well, the truth is, it, it suffers from both what I enjoy about fifty science fiction and what I don't enjoy about fifty science fiction as I've gotten older. In that, it tends to try to spend a lot of time explaining itself, uh, and then mm-hmm. on the front end, and then it really kind of amps up. It really kind of drops all the theories and everything and just goes straight for the gut toward the back end. 
So I enjoy that. We kind of talked about this with War of the Worlds a little bit when we did that a few months back. But, it, you know, it, it over-explains itself with the science in the beginning. Right. And, you right. know, it, it, it's fine. It, it's fine. Well, but you also, also got it in, in perspective. Um, you got to remember that, you know, this was at a point in time when a lot of this stuff was still very, very sure. new. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't just uh, Google every single facet of uh, existence. Yeah, you got to Google so, I mean, insecticide. You, know, you, you just kind of have to have a little bit more exposition than, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. than we're used to at this yeah. point in, in time. But this is the, the, these science fiction movies of the 50s, they really like to explain themselves. And Oh, sure. And you're right, because, you know, I mean, there wasn't all this information available to people. And, you know, I mean, you could have uh, said, hey, you know, the, he's shrinking because he ate dog food. And yeah. you probably could have caused a stir because people would have been like, oh, my kid ate dog food. Oh, yep. no. Is he going to is he going to grow? You know, or the old oh, yeah, famous. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Or the yeah, old yeah, famous yeah. Uh, smoking before a certain age will stunt your growth and all those kind of, you know, wife's tales and things like that. Uh, you know, I mean, so it kind of plays with that kind of stuff. Um, I think this movie, as I've watched it as the years have gone by. I think that it's at its best, actually, when it's almost a silent movie, when it's almost like it's just Scott trying to figure out how to function. And when he's in the basement, it's really at its best. And like those 20 or 30 minutes where it's and that's a big chunk of the runtime because it's only 81 minutes. So those 20 or 30 minutes toward the back end with the spider, really, it's pretty much from the cat moment on that I think the movie really puts the pedal to the metal for uh, for lack of a better word or for maybe a Burt Reynolds colloquialism or whatever. But it really, to me, that's when the movie's at its best. Like, this is the weird movie where the setup isn't as good as the payoff. The payoff is better than the setup. I usually, I, I tend to be more of a setup guy, and the payoff tends well, to always well, kind of hurt my this, feelings. The setup is, in this is, is threadbare. I mean, obviously, it's, sure. it, you know, it, it's a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, because obviously the interest is in what happens when he gets into the basement, right? And then what happens, you know, after that, rather than about why this is happening. Right. I mean, he is, they don't really give a shit uh, about, you know, like uh, the the uh, the dangers of uh, of nuclear anything or mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Uh, pesticide anything. I mean, that's right. not really the interest of the movie. Right. The interest of the movie is survival. Well, yeah, and of course the interest in, in, in multiple ways. I would yeah, yeah. suggest it's survival, and I think it's a combination of survival and you know, cool special effects. It's those two things, and 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 it sure. makes for an entertaining movie, and it still holds up. I mean, you know, it's it's nineteen fifty seven. I mean, we're talking what fifty something years, sixty years. I mean, it's it's amazing how well this holds up mm-hmm. uh, to this day. And even though some of the science is a bit wonky, you know, a radioactive cloud mixed with incesticide, uh, incesticide. Ooh, be careful there. Insecticide. <laughs> I, I'm not touching that one. Yeah, yeah I think you kind of did in the intro. The. Uh, oh. <laughs> Damn. I think you touch it more than you say you touch it. Um, I'm not saying anything about the sites I visit. <laughs> anyway, the uh, to get back on track. Uh, <laughs> Todd, Todd, searching the internet like uh, like Scott lighting that big matchstick, baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're on fire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're dragging that. Uh, you're dragging the head of that uh, puppy right across the concrete, lighting it up, baby. I'm dragging all kinds of heads across things. <laughs> dragging uh, it across the wood on his desk. Oh, baby. 
Hey, calm down now. Calm down. We got, we got a review to finish here. <laughs> Don't finish before the review's <laughs> I finished. This, up. <laughs> this is true. You didn't. Uh, this is my dark and twisted mind. But you know, I, 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 I Jack Arnold made a few movies that I consider yeah. pretty fun. Um, yeah. And uh, well, he was he was in my opinion he was pound for pound I think. Uh, one of the best studio directors of uh, genre material ever. I mean, dude, if you got Creature from the Black Lagoon in your filmography, oh yeah, that alone uh, puts you puts you on there. But he also had, you know, it came from outer space. He also had Tarantula. He had this. I mean, yeah, come on, yeah, this and that's is, that's what I was going to bring up. It's not his first run with a Tarantula, so he, he brought back yeah, the Tarantula no, trick. Yeah. But he also did a lot of television, like a lot of television that yeah, I'm very yeah. familiar with because you know of reruns, uh, being part of the cable TV generation. You know, stuff like, you know, Rawhide and, and Perry Mason, Gilligan's Island. He did uh, 26 episodes of Gilligan's Island, which is maybe a third of the entire series. Um, So there's that. And, you know, he, he, he did a lot of Westerns back in the day. I've seen quite a bit of those. He did 15 episodes of the Brady Bunch. He was a workman, man. He he, oh, just, yeah. he worked. Um, It looks like he finished off his career eight episodes of The Love Boat, which is also kind of sad. You probably don't know this, too, but Gavin McLeod, he died uh, yesterday. Come on. He was 90, passed away. Yeah, man. Captain uh, Steuben, right? Is that his name? Steubing. Steubing. Yeah. He's gone. He's no longer with us. The love boat captain is gone, man. Aye. To the great uh, ship in the sky. Yeah. I, lo- yeah. I, lo- I, I, I genuinely loved the love boat at one point when I was a I kid. did as well. Uh, yeah. Dude, there was, there was a point in time where that and Fantasy Island, I was glued. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they were back to back at one point too. I think. Uh, uh, I think they might have been. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I liked uh, a lot of his stuff, but Creature from the Black Lagoon is is arguably a masterpiece. Um, but th- this film is is up there, and you know, it came from outer space. Tarantula is a lot of fun. It's very cheesy, but it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. High School Confidential. He did uh, no yeah. name, no name on the bullet, which is one I like quite a bit, and you know he. He was just a workman. He was just a workman director, uh, n- nothing fancy, but again, being known for the guy to be the guy who did Creature from the Black Lagoon. I mean, you may as well be James Whale, in my opinion, because I mean, <laughs> that's a uh, that's an impressive feat. Because I, I would I would argue that Creature is probably my favorite Universal horror film. Uh, maybe if not my favorite, my second favorite. It's definitely top two or three. Yeah, no, it is high, high, high regard for me. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very important movie for me because it's, uh, and I'd, I'd assume for you too, because it's the one that I can recall most vividly. They'd run those promotions in the summer where they'd show it when kids were out of school and you go get the 3D glasses at your local convenience store or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you'd watch it on TV, and the 3D never quite worked. But it No. But, you know, you, you everybody got into it. It was like a must-see yeah. TV. It was a... Uh, well, that's like when they, when they had... Uh, I, I distinctly remember, um, and this was has nothing to do with Jack Arnold or any of his movies, uh, when they did Gorilla at Large. Mm. Um and uh, they they put out the uh, the 3D glasses that had the scratch and sniff bananas oh, on the, uh, the sidearms yeah. of it, and I was just like, I remember that. Man. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Uh, wow, I forgot all about that. I forgot about the scratch and sniff bananas. Now I want a banana. Uh, right? Yeah, I know you're playing <laughs> with your banana, but I want a banana. Ooh, are we getting back to that uh, that earlier discussion? Be easy. You just be easy on orangey, okay? Something aside. <laughs> Yeah, orangey aside, orangey aside, 
Orangey aside. <laughs> or- Orangina. <laughs> don't beat. Aside? Don't beat the pussy. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fun when we get childish. I love it. Um, it's it, yeah. It's it's the movie's still fun, uh, and it still works. I, I love also. I love how overly cantankerous Scott gets. I mean, you know, in fairness to Scott, um, Grant uh, Williams, who plays Scott Carey, in fairness to him, it is kind of a shitty thing. And you have to wonder if some of the movie isn't a a parable or maybe even a metaphor for uh, masculinity. You, ha- you have to oh, wonder. It, it, it 100% is. Dude, dude there's, there's tons of fucking uh, analogies going on in this thing, oh, yeah. I think. All kinds of stuff about being small. And, you know, for men, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, and in this modern society, it is what it is, but that's always, uh, <laughs> for some reason with men, it's the way we're raised sometimes. You don't want to hear the word small. Uh, right, right. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, Scott. He's small, and he's mad, and he's living in a dollhouse. He's like, where are you going? <laughs> you know, he's he's upset. You heard it in the trailer there I just played. So mm-hmm. Scott gets a little fired up, uh, to say the least, when, uh, uh, was it Clarice? Is that his wife? When she steps uh, out? Louise. Louise. Okay. He calls her Lou. That's right. When she steps out, Clarice is the other lady. So mm-hmm. she's the other small lady, right? Yeah. April yeah, yeah. Kent. The, the, when Scott, that's a great moment, too, when Scott realizes he shrunk just a little bit more. Um, yeah, yeah. Because she talks about how he's taller, uh, she he's taller than her. And then the next time they're together, you know, she's reading his uh, his book, or as I like to call it, his screenplay. And, uh, you know, he's trying to pass off and uh, make a movie there, and he realizes he's a little smaller, and he runs into the golf, uh, the golf uh, or the, the park showers that are going on to water the grass and stuff. So it's just little moments like that. I mean, the paint stick moment is really good. Uh, it really builds to a nice uh, climax, and I think it, it's really well done. It's a very simple special effect, and it works so well. Um, and you know, the, the thing that always kind of baffles me about the movie and it's both what makes it unique and a bit odd. And I think you might agree with this statement I'm getting ready to make and I'll pass it over to you. Okay. The end gets into this really strange metaphysical, psychological, almost hippy dippy, uh, for lack of a better term, not in a bad way, uh, kind of soliloquy that is both profound and a bit well huh you know (laughs) well yeah no i i i tend to agree uh you know i i would agree with that on you but at the same time i mean it works it's just it's just i I think it works fantastically yeah it's it's just a weird it's a weird vibe coming from the movie now i'm not you know i'd be the last person to judge that i like weird vibes in all kinds of movies but it's just, for me, the movie builds, 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 and then it gets to this moment where it's like Captain Kirk explaining what they just did on the planet. Well, yeah, I, uh, to, to a degree, I agree with that. But okay. at the same All time, right. I mean, you really kind of go back, you really kind of have to go back to uh, looking kind of at uh, Matheson's work, and most particularly with uh, his uh, I, Am, uh, I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. Um because when you look at that movie or that uh, uh, novella or novel or whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, you know, it, it kind of has the same sort of ending, right? Because uh, it totally uh, does. It totally does. Yes, I mean, well, but 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 the point is, but the point is that the ending reveals 
what the point of the whole story was in the first place. It's not mm. that, you know, it's not that we've, we've gone on this journey It's that we've gone on this journey to get to me to say this one line. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's kind of, that's kind of where this movie goes as well. So I kind of give it a bit of leeway in that, uh, in that regard, because mm. I think it has, I think it's loaded, uh, with stuff, uh, going on in there uh, to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, the, the subtext is some of the best stuff about it. Um, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe it's the well, fact that's that what, that's what they, I think, I think the subtext is, is what makes it. Yeah. Uh, still stand up today. Yeah, I think that's as well. As that might be it. It might be that I love the subtext so much, and that by the time you get to the end, and again, I'm I'm indifferent on it. I'm not. I don't hate it, and I don't love it. It's just it, it, at the end, there's no more subtext. Now it's just a matter of ex- explanation, which is it's fine. It's just I don't know. I enjoyed all the subtext. Sure, sure, sure. Um, okay. I, I, is that all you? Yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, uh, so, so first of all, uh, this one was chosen by me because, uh, you know, I've always wanted to get them, uh, on the, uh, the show. Uh, but this came up first in my, to watch file and also the guy programming, uh, movies with giant monsters in it. So I figured, Hey, uh, you know, let's, uh, <laughs> you are let's good at switch that. It around. You are very good um, at that. I, I try. Uh, and, and like with, uh, them, uh, this is, I think, uh, far more subtle, far more, and you know, we already kind of uh, just touched on this. Far more philosophical uh, take on the uh, the fear of the nuclear age. You know, the fog that uh, that uh, these two go through. Uh, it's you know, and like we already said, it, it's never really explained. It's like you know, like uh, like with the atom bomb, uh, it could very well be you know just a random act of God or the universe uh, and a sort of uh, comeuppance for splitting the atom. Um, so I mean. You have that angle to it, and that, that was certainly something that was going through people's heads uh, at the time. And that's certainly something that influenced uh, not only science fiction, but stuff like um, drama, film noir, uh, all of that stuff uh, at this uh, this point in uh, in Hollywood cinema. Um, I always loved this movie, you know, for the uh, the scenes with the spider, obviously, um, you know. But uh, you know, looking at it uh, more and more as I grow older. Uh, I tend to find that I get more out of it uh, and find more of interest in it. Um, you know, I, 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 and we kind of played on this as well. You know, I, I believe, and this is probably, I, I think this is the dullest uh, take on the film, uh, that this is all about the, uh, uh, the struggle for, uh, for identity uh, in a changing world, and especially post-World War II, uh, and certainly post-Hiroshima um, uh, and Nagasaki. Uh, you know, because the world became a whole lot scarier and, and you know, a whole lot less certain uh, for a great many people, you know. And uh, this extends to, uh, you know, all the folks who were coming home from war, yeah. uh, where some had and still have, to be sure, uh, you know, a hard time adjusting back to uh, to peacetime and rediscovering where they fit in. Yeah. Uh, and this whole thing, I mean, obviously we don't get into the whole, um, you know, uh, feminine uh, angle uh, of what uh, what that uh, that meant. Uh, in terms of the you know uh, the workforce and all that, but but you could argue uh, you, you could argue anytime there's a struggle or anytime the you're, you know you're involved in something like that, there's a a level of emasculation when you come back. Um, well, sure, that sure. happens because of what you've been sure, but what I, you've I, been dealt. I, you know? I think, that, but it's very very I think overt in this movie because you oh, know yeah. similarly oh, yeah. I think that you know this is I I because I, I do think that not only it's about identity but yeah it is about uh, the uh, um 
diminishment uh, of masculinity in uh, in modern times because you know Scott literally becomes smaller than his wife, uh, and there are really subtle uh, <laughs> suggestions that he's uh, losing uh, his wife Louise to his his brother Charlie. Um, and you know, and, and of course, you know, Scott eventually you know vanishes uh, from her view, uh, and consequently from her heart and her life. Um, you know, uh, you know, Louise uh, says that she'll stay devoted, uh, and we do believe her. But you know, there's an, an implication that she may not be able to uh, to stick to that yeah. uh, that vow that she makes. You know, his right. wedding ring uh, even falls off. Yeah. Uh, while he's talking to her about it, yeah. so I mean, this is this is really you know really strongly um, it, it's not subtle in that way yeah. uh, about these sort of things. It's, you know, the 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 analogies are are heavy in this thing, and yeah. you know, once he reaches a certain size, um, the film then you know becomes about uh, you know the the survival aspect, Scott's survival, uh, and I feel that his um, overcoming of each obstacle then. Uh, is you know it's like another step towards reasserting himself as a person generally and like a man specifically, uh, and in like a, like a more uh, literal way than I, I think you could uh, you could look at the film as uh, you know Scott wasting away uh, from uh, from cancer caused by uh, radiation exposure. In fact, the film sp- specifically calls his condition an anti-cancer. Mm. Um, but that's you know that sort of thing is not as much you know, fun for me, but the point is that, you know, the film and story and yeah, it, you know, from, you know, obviously Richard Matheson, uh, I think that, uh, and maybe this is just me, but I don't think it is, but I think that it holds up, uh, under scrutiny and, uh, allows for multiple interpretations in that way. Um, so, you know, I, 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 yeah, I mean, this thing, uh, this thing's pretty strong uh, yeah. all the way around. I think yeah. it's pretty interesting also. Uh, and you, you kind of, uh, alluded to this a bit, it's pretty interesting in the the sidebar with Scott uh, constantly thinking of himself as a freak, and then he meets a midget lady, uh, where yeah. they do this kind of this yeah. kind of funny, you know, because she's clearly not a midget if you know what a midget's built like. Um, just to uh, you know, not 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 to be crass or uh, unfeeling, uh, but midgets do not look like look like uh, the uh, the lady who he meets. Right, they're dis- um, they're disproportioned by nature. Right. Right, right, right. Uh, the interesting thing is that you know she says that he's not alone, but you know he keeps shrinking. Uh, and the uh, the Clarice character, um, you know, she also presents an opportunity for Scott to cheat on his wife. Mm. Uh, and I, I mean, that's it, dude. There's no way that you don't get that. That's you know a possibility here. And you know, I think that while their their relationship is it's short lived in the film, uh, and it's always platonic, largely because you know it gets cut short uh, by Scott's own sort of insecurities. You know, I I, I kind of feel bad uh, for Louise in this re- regard because uh, you can feel that you know I, Scott and Clarice would have gone there eventually, um, but uh, you know all of this uh, you know only increases uh, you know Scott's uh, existential angst that's going on there. Right. Um, now, uh, just as a, uh, a practical, uh, matter, I, I would not walk around Scott's basement in bare feet uh, because there's an awful lot of loose nails, uh, lying around in that thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a, tar- uh, and, like and a tarantula. To, uh, he likes to make use of. Yeah. And a tarantula. I mean, you know. Right? It's, it's a, Fuck that. <laughs> his basement is a, it's a dangerous place to uh, be. That, that, tra- that tarantula has one of the strongest webs <laughs> Ever in the history of of cinema, yeah. <laughs> um, I I had to giggle a little bit because you know when Scott's yelling, 
for uh, for Lou to notice him. Uh, he sounds a hell of a lot like Rob Brydon doing his small man in the box routine. Yes, uh, which I always just I find insanely uh, fascinating and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I, I love this way. You know, for as much as for as much as I think it's about masculinity, for as much as I think that it's about uh, identity, for as much as as all these things, you know, I, I think you can add even another layer and and uh, you know, kind of. Uh, well, yeah, I'll skip that one. But uh, um, it's ironic, I think, that um, the Scott character's ending is uh, is as bittersweet as it is, uh, because on the one hand, there's the uh, the the failure of being able to. Oh, by the way, spoilers for a a seventy year old movie or almost seventy year old movie. Um, the failure failure of being able to uh, reverse the process you know he'll the, the, the you know this guy he's never going to be normal again um but on the other hand you know he he's about to enter a whole new universe uh and with all that that entails which is you know shades of uh the sword of the atom comic uh or the uh the incredible hulk's adventures with uh, Jarella mm. in the uh the the microverse uh so to speak um so we, we get to a certain point there and the film then ends with one of my favorite final lines of all time, uh, which is, you know, um, I still exist. Uh, and I think that this adds yet another layer, uh, to the movie, depending on how you want to see it. I mean, it could very well be that, um, that Scott is about to blink out of existence in like the death sort of sense. Uh, and his narration from the the afterlife is like some kind of like um, primal scream uh, at the at the universe, and you know, ultimately futile. Um, but I think that uh, you know a lot of that goes back to the, the whole uh, the whole angle of uh, existentialism, which was certainly uh, something which had become more and more prominent in uh, in the the pop culture uh, and sort of the uh, I guess. Uh, what uh, lounge chair philosophizer, philosopher, uh, sort of uh, set, uh, so to speak. Mm. Um, but the movie overall is is one that um, it, it it fascinates me and continues to fascinate me because I think there's there's it's so pliable, it's so uh, it's so giving to interpretations uh, that I think that that makes it stronger. Uh, you know, over and over again. I mean. And there's the joy of uh, of the special effects and you know the the ingenuity uh, of how they pick things out and certainly on on the practical level and an entertainment level I think it works fantastically. Uh, but then you know there's there's a whole lot going on underneath and and it's a little bit blunter uh, I think than um, than some other uh, things and certainly some other things later on obviously. Um, but you know the fifties in science fiction had a lot of um a lot of the fears uh, of america well not a lot of the fears just about every fear uh that america had uh and uh, and man they put it all on screen uh and everybody got it and everybody uh was enthralled by it and would talk about it and i yeah. think that's what makes these things uh, stand up to this day yeah uh because i think that a lot of these things i think that a lot of these things stayed with us uh even past that for how sophisticated we like to think that we are. Yeah. I think that well, you know, I think, eventually eventually we go back to a primal level. We have yeah. to, we have to yeah. because we're people. Yeah. Because we're human beings. The uh 
the truth is society so, you know, breaks down eventually the 50s also was you know i think there's a level of in in our art and our science fiction stuff like that there's a level of safety in the 50s you know everybody's got a job everybody's got a car everybody's got a house this is when the quote-unquote american uh dream really kicks in is the 50s right well sure because it was the boom time after the war yeah. so there's always that respect. fear but at the same time there's the there's the darker aspect that is is what these yeah. things reflect yeah and there's always that fear that's all going to get taken away yeah exactly and that 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 permeates our culture to this day sure sure oh, more so now than ever maybe yeah 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 probably more now than ever well certainly well uh, 70s maybe more but more than currently but i think that you know there's also a certain uh uh uh, blinders uh, sort of thing going on now, but whatever. Hey, I don't want to get political about oh, it. No, I don't, really no, don't no, want to be a dick. The mo- it was a moment of silence there for the uh, for Todd and the incredible shrinking man. Uh, is that all you got, though? Is that is everything? You know, I'm I'm very familiar with the book. I've read most of all of Matheson, pretty much all of Matheson's stuff. And he's a really he's a fantastic yeah. writer. For those who have not uh, read any of his stuff, I yeah. would highly suggest and uh, I, seeking it. Out. I, yeah, I would suggest people read this book because, or this story he wrote because it's surprisingly graphic for the time. I remember reading it and thinking, "Wow, they could have never made this movie back in the day." Because uh, there's some, <laughs> there's some uh, you know. I, Nothing bad, nothing too bad, but I mean, I do remember at one point, I, I believe the shrinking man in the story, uh, I believe he's spying on a babysitter changing her clothes or something like that, like he's hiding behind something and watching an underage girl change her clothes or something like that, so mm-hmm. little, uh, you know, you can't get that stuff in the movies, uh, not not in the 50s anyway, so or the 60s or whatever, maybe in the 70s you could have pulled that off, uh, or in some of those movies you watch with the incesticide. Um, like <laughs> that, that joke just keeps coming back, and we can play on that all day. Uh, okay, maker breaks, uh, MVTs. Uh, you know, I I'm gonna do a bit of a cheat here. The maker break for me is really that big fat chunk of 20 minutes where he's trying to figure things out, where he's you know pulling pins out of pin cushions and using them as swords, and he's discovered he has a tarantula living in the drawers of his house and. Uh, you know, he's using a, a pin to climb up a, uh, and you know, it, everything's work and, and I really enjoyed that stuff and I, I liked it because it's almost, again, it's almost a silent movie at that point and it's a very good visual storytelling. Um, you didn't really need any dialogue or anything. They ended up putting some narration in there, but I don't even think they even needed to do that. To be honest with you, I don't have any problem with it, but you know, that point when he gets up to the top, he starts talking about the box and how deep the box is and. And all that stuff, which again could all be a uh, <laughs> that could all be seen as a metaphor for <laughs> small manhood. Um, but uh, <laughs> what you mean? You mean ha- throwing a hot dog down a hallway, so to speak? <laughs> and looking into the endless abyss, and it looks back into you. Um, yeah, right. Uh, you know, it, it can be seen as that. I'm sorry, but it can. It's it's easy. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, he starts talking again and stuff, and it's fine. But uh, at that point, I'm like, man, they could have done the whole movie. And silent until the end of the, to the last soliloquy, and uh, it would have been fine. It would have played well because I think they, Jack Arnold does such a good job of telling the story visually. Uh, after he gets down into the basement, the ever so dangerous basement where everything will stick in your feet, um, <laughs> that uh, you know it, it it 
it, it, like I said, it is a bit of a cheat. To, for, it's not really a scene as much as it is a segment, but uh, sure. I quite enjoy it. Uh, MVT for me, I'm going to go with Arnold on this one. Um, I would. I don't know if I would go with him on Creature. As much as I love Creature in Black Lagoon, it's the performance from the creature that I really like a lot in the movie, but I don't know. Maybe we'll cover it someday. But anyway, I'm going to go with Jack Arnold on this one. I quite enjoy this. Really? The movie's brisk. The movie's fun. Uh, it's a thinking man science fiction film, which I think both of our films this week are, and uh, you know they're good. They're good fun for that. The, the, some of the best science fiction is obviously just reflective material, right? And yes, this is reflective on uh, uh, masculinity potentially. And our next film will be reflective on uh, societal problems. So and relations. So you know, I I think that the best science fiction looks at what's going on. So, uh, I'll give this an eight out of 10. It's a super solid science fiction movie and you can't go wrong with the incredible shrinking man. You heard it from Sammy. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Uh, so make a break. Um, I'm gonna go with the, the, the obvious. I'm going to go with the spider fight. Uh, it's great. Technically it's great. Narratively it's great. Metaphorically. Uh, and that black blood, uh, that comes oozing out of that thing looks so fucking gross. Uh, so yeah, love it. Um, so moisturize MVT, the cake with it. Yeah, right. Oh, styrofoam. Um, <laughs> I I love uh, Jack Arnold, but on this one, uh, I am gonna go with Matheson. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I think that you know, like so much of his work, uh, the story is brilliantly simple and simply brilliant. Um, I mean, you know, there's obviously a reason that he's, uh, you know, he's a legend, uh, insert rim shot here. Um, and, uh, obviously this movie is, uh, is one of those things. Uh, and you know, I mean, this is, uh, this is Mathesonian, uh, through and through yep. uh, and score for me. I'm a hundred percent in line with you. Uh, eight out of 10. Uh, nice. this is nice. rock solid, uh, science fiction, yeah. uh, then and now. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. I, it it I holds up, right? Adore it. And that's that's one of the great things about it is it holds up. Oh yeah, holds up a hundred percent. I think, yeah. yeah. Which I think a lot of science fiction does. I mean, because you can see the parables and the metaphors and everything, you can mix that into science fiction very easily. Sure. And, well, and that and horror and yeah. yeah, yeah. And for me, it always seems to work more prevalently in science fiction. I guess because it's a commentary on where we're headed, whereas horror tends sure. to be commentary more on where we're at. In some ways. Okay. So. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about another sci-fi classic here at the, gen- <laughs> here at the Gentleman's Guide to Science Fiction. Uh, that's, uh, that sounds like Jerry Seinfeld, sort of. Well, let me tell what you that? guys. What, who are these people? <laughs> yes. Right. What's up with airplane food? <laughs> we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back right after this. Somewhere in the universe, there has to be something better than man. Has to be. The words are Charlton Heston's. Get out a last signal to Earth if we've landed! The world he finds out in the galaxy will challenge every idea you've ever had of civilization. A planet where man is the lowest order of living things, and the superior beings are apes. build the cities, make the laws, the gods, 
and control the guns. That us, a race of lowly, terrified humans who run wild in the jungles, are caged in the prisons, and stuffed in the museums. 20th Century Fox transforms the motion picture screen into Planet of the Apes. Pierre Boulle's finest novel since Bridge on the River Kwai. The world gone insane, an upside-down civilization that could not be real. Yes, a world of madness and terror. Man has no understanding. He can be taught a few simple tricks, nothing more. You did it. You cut up his brain, you funny baboon. not end here. It ended in an episode so unpredictable, so shocking, it made the horror which preceded it seem calm and gentle as a summer's night. A great many people worked long and hard to answer the question of what a civilization would be like where the evolutionary process had been reversed and apes were the superior species. Hundreds of technicians and the largest number of makeup artists ever assembled assisted the producers, the writers, the director, and the cast, Dr. Cornelius Roddy McDowell. Dr. Zira is played by Kim Hunter. Dr. Zayas is portrayed by Maurice Evans. And Nova by Linda Harrison. Now the tribunal has placed you in my custody for final disposition. You realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. Eventually a kind of living death. Planet of the Apes, beyond your wildest dreams. All right. That is, Bring it on. That is a trailer right there, buddy. That was, that was certainly long. Back in the days when they would get the star to uh, come into the trailer... In regular clothes, yeah. and uh, yeah. and do the uh, do do a little bit more editing. Oh, we're playing it again. We're playing it again because you know this is fun. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Fucking. Trailers. I'm Charlton Heston. Yeah, I'm Charlton Heston. Let me tell you about this new picture that I'm in. I let, you know, I've always found it interesting about Heston. You know, obviously. I find him a fascinating guy to begin with. But. Yeah, he is a fascinating guy because he's interesting in that he's a kind of a countercultural icon without ever being counter, right. without right. ever being countercultural. He's actually, you know, and, you know, he was as right wing as they came. But you know that that's what well, I always I found eventually it. he became. Yeah, yeah. But initially he was he was very very liberal. Yeah, um, so, because you know he he was not liberal minded until later in life. He was a Democrat up until like 1972. Uh, but he he uh, he still supported a fairly liberal stance on social issues at the time. Certainly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he this here was a guy who he was an activist for the Civil Rights Act in 1964. He opposed Vietnam while it was going on, mm-hmm. uh, and he would uh, he would uh, appear in movies that cast him in a way that was uh, sympathetic to more liberal leanings. And you know, I, I think that while you can say that this is simply you know kind of like a cynical sort of um, uh, 
pragmatism. Uh, I don't believe that that's necessarily the case. You know, from what I understand of the guy, uh, he was always very respectful of people who didn't share his politics. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think that, I, I think that, um, his politics evolved as he, as a person evolved. And I think that's what we all do. I you, think eventually, you mean, wait you a know, minute. all that being said, I, Wait, wait one second. I gotta, no, go ahead, you, go ahead, I gotta go cut you off here because I gotta say, you mean okay. we can disagree politically and still be friendly? <sighs> Sammy, I, I try, <laughs> I try not to get political on the show. I really do. No, 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 no. It's just I always laugh at the fact that you know, you know, it's, it's okay to disagree. I don't know why. I don't know when oh, it 100% ever. Percent it is. It should always be. I mean, yeah. that's 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 why that's why we have something called dialogue instead yeah. of monologue. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I just, I'm just happy if I can pass a log at 48. You know right? what I'm saying, Ooh, <laughs> buddy? That's why I fucking eat yogurt just about every day. <laughs> anyway, let's get off of the politics part of it because we will be talking some politics when we get into this review. I'm sure There's, it's an it's unavoidable. Oh yeah, we're gonna get in trouble. For but this one. Planet of the Apes, 1968, uh, rated G, which is how uh, about that? Very interesting. Um, fascinating. Yeah, it is kind of fascinating because uh, I would argue it probably is more of a PG movie. But yeah, you know yeah. who knows who knows what's going on. Anyway, uh, Charlton Heston's in here. Kim Hunter, Franklin J. Schaffner. An astronaut crew crash lands on a planet in the distant future where intelligent talking apes are the dominant species and humans are the oppressed and enslaved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roddy McDowell's in here as well um, in one of his pivotal Love roles. Roddy. And uh, this, we should make this statement. I mean, uh, I know I have over the years said that, you know, Star Wars and franchises and all these things are, you know, a big problem in Hollywood. But this was one of the first. This was one of the ones that really kicked off the idea of especially uh, merchandising. Now, me and you are the same age. Um, or roughly the same. Well, it's close. I, I, I would, I would tend to argue that. Did you have Mego dolls? Uh, Did you have apes Mego dolls? Did you have any? What's that? Those little uh, action figures, the apes Mego. Uh, uh, did you have no, any? Of them? No, no. I did. Uh, I had, uh, I had a couple of the, uh, I had a couple of the models. I did. Model kits that they had. I had the model kits. I had um, the doll figures. So and... I never, but I didn't have any of the Migos. No. Uh, I would have loved to have something like that. Yeah, yeah. I had some of those. My, my mom, my mother is a huge fan of this series, and of course we watched the television show and and all that kind of good stuff. So this this series of films was a huge part of my childhood. Huge, oh yeah, huge part. Yeah. Huge well, part. dude, like every every third month of the year, fucking Channel Sixteen uh, or Channel Six, I guess WNEP Sixteen uh, would uh, would go ape, so to speak. <laughs> yes, and play like every every fucking movie in there. Yeah, uh, and they would have little promos that uh, that went along with it and all of that stuff. Yeah, uh, and uh, man, I was fucking glued. I was too glued. I to loved the screen. it. And I thought I had that moment. And, and tell me if you had this moment. I had that moment when I was a kid where I was like, "There's no way." Special effects will ever look better than than these uh, oh God, yeah. than these apes. You, you listen. You you certainly listen. I mean, okay. So credit to John Chambers. Um, you know, he, he did some revolutionary shit in here. Yes, yes. Um, which you know, I I don't think that. I mean, obviously, it's quaint now. It is. Well, um, it, it's quaint now because of obviously as far as things have gone, but also. You know, on Blu-ray and things like that, one of the things you do realize uh, with this is you can see the the actual mouth behind the ape well, mouth. Sure, sure. 
And, sure. And, you know, of course, as a kid, I never saw that because. You, you, no, no. And obviously because you were watching it on a shitty dupe on television, <laughs> 9 out of 10. But, yeah. you know, but I, I think that part of part of why uh, it, it's so iconic and it works so well, I think goes back to not just Chambers, but I think that it gave uh, it gave the actors uh, a reason uh, for some of their mannerisms and their and their and their facial gestures, especially uh, McDowell and Hunter. Oh yeah, uh, and I, I personally love their performances all the more for that. Yes, I love uh, all the all the eight dude, performances. There's, there's really no good. way that you're watching these two on screen and mm-hmm. you don't want to fucking start yeah. imitating them. With yeah, yeah. Like the little the nose shrugs and the fucking oh yeah, you know the, the various like just little when they get uh, when they get nervous that they kind of have. Yeah. I mean they 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 embody. Uh, what they're putting on screen, you absolutely believe yeah. that these characters are what they appear to be on screen. Whenever they get and nervous, they do that little. Is, is, that's movie magic. Yeah, when they get when they get nervous, they do that little twitch thing, and I like that quite a bit. The only thing I yes. don't like, and I'll let you go ahead and start talking about this movie, but the only thing I don't like with Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell is I don't like the kissing. I hate the three kissing thing, but that's just me. It's a it's a peccadillo. Let's I go. Mean, if we're going to talk about incesticide, we got to talk uh, about apicide. Uh, Apis incesticide. I mean, I got to be honest with you. If Kim Hunter's dressed as an ape, I'm I'm all in. So I'm a hundred. <laughs> I would love it more if Linda Harrison was dressed as an ape. You know, what I mean? I you well, know, you know, either way. I mean, I mean you know, depending on yeah, <laughs> depending on my mood, maybe even Charlton Heston dresses as an ape. I remember when the remake. I was like, ooh. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's, he looks let's, pretty good in the long run, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, you almost uh, you almost I, see the Heston bag in this. You do see the Heston cheeks. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's almost like the uh, the silver bag in that uh, that yeah. one. Uh, oh, fuck. What was the movie? So watching this on Blu-ray, I was like, wow. I think I almost saw like you know some baggage. Little little jo- little Charlie. Yeah. That'd have been saggy Charlie. Uh, yeah heston had that late career action cycle the, these yeah, late right. career heston films are fun this you know soil and green omega man this there's another yeah, one there's yeah, another yeah. one i'm missing in there but these late cycle had uh big budget uh heston films are you know it's kind of the prototype of the uh well he did uh Death wish and the did, liam did neeson do, movies uh, did like he that. do a uh a disaster did he wasn't he one of the airport movies or am oh, I thinking... i'm sure i think he was in the first airport movie uh, yeah 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 that makes sense that makes yeah. sense um so yeah well one of the more interesting things that uh, i noticed about the film uh this time out is the uh the similarity that it has uh especially in, in the opening uh to that of uh 20 million miles to earth the uh the harryhausen uh, picture mm. um they both have spaceships crashing into water they both have uh escapes from said spaceships that uh you know just before they shink, sink uh, and they both have aliens uh that have been carried to ostensibly uh different planets and will be hunted by the native populations thereupon uh so there uh it's just that you know in in uh, obviously in in 20 million miles to earth the alien is an actual alien from venus uh and here the aliens are humans um I I would go out on a limb and say that you know I don't think that the similarities are intentional, uh, you know, to to uh, illustrate the idea that you know like we are the aliens, but I think that it's certainly there regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just I, I found that really fascinating. It's just one of those little weird uh, kind of uh, tangents that my mind goes on, mm-hmm. uh, especially looking at uh, this stuff like this uh, this far along. Um, I don't think that uh, Pierre Boulez, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. uh, original novel, 
uh, had anything to do with uh, race, but uh, that is certainly one of the things uh, that this adaptation, um, which was uh, done by uh, Rod Serling uh, and uh, Michael Wilson, uh, Rod Serling, who was a vocal, vocal pacifist uh, for whom you know discussions of uh, race in America was definitely a, a heavy theme in his work. Yeah. Um, and then this adaptation certainly takes that up. Uh, and it, it, it does so in a pretty blunt, even uh, sort of uh, confrontational manner. Um, you know, the scene with the uh, the hunt alone, I think, shows that uh, off. Um, but there is also the scene with uh, with Taylor being hosed down. Uh, and then the most horrifying scene uh, when he uh, he reconnects with his fellow astronauts uh, as the movie goes along. Uh, you bloody baboons! Yeah. Uh, so you cut uh, it, it, You cut him! You, you bloody cut baboons! His brain! You bloody baboons! <laughs> yeah. uh, which I think is a better uh, a better line than the the one that he's uh, he's more known for. Yeah. Uh, take your filthy paws off me. Um, so it, it's very it's very very clear uh, that this is the intent of the movie. But uh, you know, it also does. I think this movie does uh, social issue filmmaking right, as the, did the entire series. Uh, yeah, it did. It did. It uh, it does it quite well, and it does it so well that you don't even have to tie race to it. You can just tie any minority to it whatsoever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can tie uh, it's, it's, homeless people to it. You can tie anything to it. Sure. I, you know, it's very clear about what the uh, the film wants to say. But it, it, here's the thing. It, it here's the thing that I like or love. Whatever. Uh, it it doesn't keep bashing you over the head with it or talking yeah. down to the audience or like excoriating you. Mm. I mean, yeah, we get like hissed, Heston, you know, waxing hippiotic uh, at the film start, you know, but still. Yeah, he's a, uh, well, he's a little hippie like, but he's also it's a really strange character because he's also well, he's also a little misanthropic. Like he, oh, he's extraordinarily like, misanthropic. Like he and hates that's people. Part of, that's part of the that's part of the irony of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very strange character when you think about it and uh, not a character that would exist too much in modern movies you got this character who is both incredibly human but also cannot stand humans so badly that he wants to fly away in space (laughs) right yeah well i mean that's yeah i think that's that's part of why the taylor character works as well as he does i think yeah yeah. Uh, and particularly with with uh hessen and the roles because he's yeah he's a dyed in the wool uh misanthrope who you know in the words of uh cinderella uh, and I'm talking about the band, not the uh, the uh, fairy tale. Uh, don't know what he's got till it's gone. That's right. Uh, right. Yeah. So his gypsy road. I will, I will gypsy allow road. you to sing that. Yeah. Well, no, I'll it's say that his gypsy road won't take him home. So it won't take him home. Neither <laughs> with the you know he's not going to West Virginia yeah. uh, Mountain Mama. Yeah. He he, dri- um, <laughs> he drives all night just to see the light. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anywho he's nobody's fool so shake me <laughs> nice you got them all in there oh outstanding now i want to go i celebrate their back catalog um so side story here uh reportedly and uh this is a long time ago so i, I don't know if i have it 100 percent uh accurate but reportedly uh, Serling, as he was uh, writing the uh, the cert, uh, different drafts, got so frustrated uh, during uh, during the writing of the screenplay that at one point he submitted a draft that had the uh, the Statue of Liberty given the middle finger. Yes, uh, which yeah, uh, I, I absolutely love that story. And uh, yeah. if that doesn't sum up Rod Serling, I don't know what yeah. does. I've heard this story, uh, the, Serling. So I know most people listening to the show know who Rod Serling is, and we know what he's done and what he meant to society. But one of the things I just want to bring up is 
Sterling was one of the first TV producers slash writers with some real kind of oomph. And yeah. one of the things that made his career arguably, and maybe even made his life arguably cut short, other than the fact that he was a chain smoker, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. was the fact that he was very, and not in a bad way when I say this, uh, you know, sometimes we'll say this and it sounds like we're making a negative comment, but he was difficult. In other words, he was, he really stuck to his guns. Yes. Uh, if he believed a story should be told a certain way, then he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna back down. So that well, him like Harlan Ellison and uh, yeah, like sure. so many like like so many writers can be. I mean, uh, you know, sure. Sure. I, I know you, there's a certain amount of give that you got to have. But Serling, if you go back and read any biography material on him or anything else, you will find like Harlan Ellison, you will find a very uh, <laughs> crusty. And uh, very much stick in the mud type when it comes to his stories in particular, which is why Twilight Zone works so good because it's all Serling, right? Where and but but I think the genesis of the idea, the germ of the idea from the novel, um, which from what I understand, Pierre Buell Buell or Buell or however you say his name, he didn't even like the novel he wrote that much. It became this huge thing for him, <laughs> but he didn't even really care for it. Like it was kind of well, like it was, also, it was it was pretty wildly different from. Um from what went on screen yeah and, he, then, and then what would come after obviously yeah he didn't really care for it and uh he was just like you know it'll never be a movie and blah 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 and they turned it into this not only this movie but essentially this you know marketing juggernaut that's what it turned oh, into yeah. yeah and obviously he probably got a nice amount of coin out of it but it's always what? one of those things right where you just think you know it's like these the star wars stories when you hear the guys like francis for Coppola going george i don't know I don't know what you're doing with this uh the Star Wars here. I mean this is gonna this is gonna bomb horribly. And then yeah. George Lucas is like, Hey Francis <laughs> I can still make movies today. <laughs> uh-huh. What are you doing, Francis? Recutting Apocalypse Now again? So yeah, right. you know, you know, it's it, it, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. You don't know what's gonna be a hit and what's not. Sometimes they think certain things are gonna be a hit, sometimes they don't know. I think that this comes at a time in science fiction when people are expanding. And, of course, I think that some of this comes from the hippie culture. But people yeah. are expanding their mind more. They're thinking outside the box. You know, Star Trek well, is around this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think all of that's in there. Yes. I think all of that's in there. You got these guys uh, like Roddenberry, Serling, uh, Ellison, uh, Heinlein, sure. Robert Heinlein. Sure. You got all these guys, these thinkers. Uh, what's another one I'm thinking about? I can't Asimov. Think, I can't think. Uh, of the, I can't think of his name right now off the top of my head. The Breakfast of Champions guy. Jeez. Oh, uh, Huxley, Aldous Huxley. No, 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 not Aldous Huxley. It's the other guy. It's uh, shit. He's the Indian. Oh, uh, 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 was that Vonnegut? Vonnegut. Vonnegut. Yeah. You got these thinkers. You got these guys that are taking literature and looking at society's ills, uh, be they race, be they poverty, capitalism, anything. Right. Well, and, this is this is what this is what good genre cinema can do. Yes, um, I, I'm not. I am not in any way, shape, or form saying that it should do. No, it doesn't have to. Uh, because it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have to. No, it could just be a uh, flat out it can, it can violent movie, things, and it can do it remarkably well, and it can <laughs> yeah. do it a hell of a lot better than uh, than straight uh, straight up drama. Yeah. will yeah. because drama has to be at some point or another real, uh, whereas the analogy angle of stuff like science fiction, horror, all of that sort of thing. Uh, fantasy, uh, uh, you know, it allows for these things mm, because mm. you know we're allowed to say that you know an egg is not an egg. Now we're not, you know, we're allowed to say that uh, an ape is not an ape, right? Right. right. Uh, 
and then and this is where we're going to start getting into you know kind of the uh, the the sticky wicket, I guess, if we're going to get canceled at all on this show uh, for this one anyway. Um, I, I don't. Think, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know, man. Because you know, fucking people are are so picky about so many things that you know who. Eh, I, don't I don't think know so. What the fuck's going to set somebody off? Because this one wears um, it. This one wears itself on its sleeve pretty pretty frequently. Well, it does. It does. But it it doesn't. I I don't think that you know. Um, yeah, because it's, it is in there. Uh, you know, the, the ideas of of race and and class. Certainly, Classes uh, you there, know, yes. Classes you know, that bleeds well. into the the uh, the depictions of the ape society because you know the gorillas do the dirty work for the chimps and the orangutans. The orangutans yeah. uh, keep control through you know manipulation of the of the truth. The chimps search for that truth, but yeah. ultimately, uh, they're as blind as the gorillas are to what's yep. going on, right? Yeah, and then um, well, you got the element too that the the orangutans are the lighter skinned of the three too. So you got that element in there. Sure. And then well, you also that, got the element of there's no female gorillas and there's no female orangutans here. So a lot of people don't right. even talk about that aspect of it. So where are the female gorillas? Where are the female orangutans? Well, they're not they're lesser thans than the chimps. Right. So there's a whole other angle of of commentary going on there that nobody even ever talks about. Well, that's yeah, no, and that's that's kind of my my next note here is, you know, I I I kind of have to guess that, you know, there are people who would want who would want to call this uh, movie racist since uh, the most violent contingent sure. of primates is also the darkest of complexion. Sure. Know, while the good, you know, smart chimps sure. uh, are essentially white. You know, I, I suppose that that the, that the case could be made. You could uh, make And that I don't case. know offhand. Yeah, you'd be uh, you'd be wrong, actually, but you you yeah. I mean, well, in my opinion, you'd be wrong. I'm not saying you'd be wrong in your opinion because everybody's opinion is their opinion. But right. to me, the gorilla is. It, it, it's it's unfortunate that the gorilla is the dark skin, but it also makes sense that the gorilla well, would be the muscle. That's yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting to. Yeah. Uh, because you know, I don't know what the actual the actual creative process was behind the scenes on this, but I think that from a production standpoint, you know, I I, I would I, I that's you were a hundred percent what I was going for. It, it, I think that they simply chose uh, which type of ape you know went into which cast based on general like perceptions of their traits. You know, so orangutans. Uh, you know, are considered very smart and very peaceful. Uh, same with chimps, uh, more or less. I mean, you're the one who shook hands with them, so I don't know. Um, very scary. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can tell you this. Uh, you I'll, know, I'll shake hands with a gorilla again before I – well, I never shook hands with a gorilla. I said again. Wow. You know, you know me. I'm just hanging out with primates all the time, man. That's what I do. First for everything. Uh, but, you know, yeah, but gorillas are always considered first in terms of their, their brute strength, and yes. Uh, Their dominance. Know, this, this, so to speak, their dominance. Right, and, and that, that that of course disregards you know the fact that pretty much any of these apes could tear you in half if they wanted to. Oh god! And yeah. certainly chimps could be as vicious as any other wild animal. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I, I'm sure there are folks listening who will who will call what I'm saying like a rationalization, and maybe it is, but that's still how I see it. Um, I've always heard baboons. And I, I know that I know that terrible, dang, terribly I know that, dangerous. Baboons are terribly dangerous. That's what I've always heard. Oh, baboons are yeah. Oh, dude, those things are fucking They're nasty scary. as shit. They're scary. Yeah. Um, but I know that, you know, uh, you know, race in terms of like slavery in America is one of the most, if not the most, uh, prominent readings of this movie. And I think that that's valid, mm -hmm. but, um, I would at the end of the day, suggest an additional interpretation of the film as an analogy for, um, the, uh, the Holocaust, oh, yeah. uh, especially in the way that oh, apes yeah. like Zaius. Uh, want humans exterminated outright. Yes. Uh, you know, this isn't about using humans as, as forced labor, uh, like slavery would be. Uh, it's about the erasure 
uh, of a race by another race that views itself as the superior or master right. uh, race. Uh, and I think that that far more uh, than any um, than anything about um, you know uh, uh, the black people in America is a, a more valid reading of the, of the film, in I, my opinion. I am so glad you said that because, in my opinion, that is the more valid. Uh, I mean, I think the the racial tension is the surface level stuff, and I think it's there. And I and I but, think that, that became more prevalent as the series went on. Yeah, but I think the more important element here is a, a society in power erasing another society because of fear and what that does. So, you know, if you look at it as a Holocaust uh, type parable, it really makes a lot of sense because say it, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Zayas, he's a character who understands what humans could bring to right. the ape culture and he doesn't want that to happen. Right, right. He right, right. is as prejudiced as they come. He is the darkest character in the whole series because he wants to, as you said, erase a a a whole race of people, a whole species because of what well, he, they and, pretend. And, and, and much like the Nazis, he wants to erase history. Yes, he wants to rewrite it in the ape's image only and yeah. keep it that way. And And there's also... As, as you said, there's these elements of not only the Holocaust, but because you said the things the Holocaust too, you know, some of my notes also talk about how the fact that there's a lot of religious allegory here too. There's a lot there's of, there's a hundred percent, there's a lot 100%. of religious commentary going on here, which never gets brought up when people talk about this movie. No, and it always kind of blows people, my mind. Well, that's because, that's because people want to see the, they want to take the, the most, the, the easiest, most surface element and then run with that. And I'm not saying that that's bad or that's wrong. I'm no. saying that's there, but I'm saying that I think that it is not uh, as much that obviously, um, and I'm saying that there's more to it than that. Yes, it's right. Deep, it's I mean, I, I'm 100 percent on board with you. It's way deeper than a race issue. I think that's just a surface level thing. And I think if you watch the film with critical eyes, or if you watch the film and absorb the material, I think what you find between Serling and uh, who was the other writer. I can't remember who the other writer was. Uh, Mar uh, Michael Wilson. I think what those two guys did is they managed to work in not just one of society's problems. But just about all of them. But just about all of them. Uh, yeah. And religion, honestly, well, there's I think religion is such a huge factor in this movie that it, it almost overshadows everything if you watch it critically. What 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 you're getting here also is you know you have elements of uh, paranoia cinema popular then and, and certainly gaining a popularity and would gain through the 70s oh yeah uh as well as you know and yeah we, we you know there is the power of religion with like the lawgiver etc oh yeah uh in order to control people for political ends that's right so you know we get this we get this extensive uh you know quasi scopes trial scene for those of you who don't know what the scopes trial is look at the fuck up um with the uh, the tribunal and then it's interesting to me that this actually becomes the major uh, focus of the rest of the picture because yes. that's because and if that doesn't tell you if that doesn't illuminate to you exactly what this film is is uh, is it is uh, about and interested in then I, I i really don't know what it what yeah. could well i mean um, i've always told people you know because I mean, this, this, movie, this movie's not it's not an action movie no it's there not. are action scenes in it yeah there are. Uh, there are action beats in it, but yes. it, is, it is not an no. action movie in any way, shape, or form, I don't think. It's a heavy drama, really, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's a very, you know, in saying that, kind of my 
what I was going to say is it's very it it's very much a thinking man's uh, science fiction movie. It it does have I agree with you. It does have a couple good action pieces. I mean that first scene where the apes show up that's pretty cool, and oh, that sure. and that first twenty minutes or so of this movie. I, man, I love the first twenty minutes or so of this movie. I don't even know where they shot it all. It looks like Lake Tahoe or somewhere. I don't know where. Uh, I don't know. It's gorgeous though. But I th- mean, this movie this movie does that wonderful uh that wonderful trick of being both sizzle and steak. It does. It does. It's got a lot of meat on the bone. It knows. It, yeah, it knows when to fucking flash, and it knows when to cash. And it never. Um, it never. And not only that, it never lets you down. No, no, no. It doesn't. That's one of the genius I mean, things there's about a couple, it. There's a couple of like. There's a couple of like hammy aspects to it. Oh sure. You know, especially you know, uh, with uh, with uh, Heston in the lead role. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, him being one of the great film stars of his day, uh, you know, being able to put everything up on screen, you, you really got to give the guy a lot of forgiveness in this, uh, and especially in this movie, yeah, uh, because he he put asses in the seats in the theater to allow for them to be able to do what they did. Yes, um, because I mean, at the end of the day, it's still it's still the film business, right? Yeah. I mean, and this movie this movie gets that, yeah, uh, and it was able to get that, and it was able to get away with a lot of stuff. Uh, that uh, that you know some other that some other movies wouldn't. That kind of paved the way, I think, a little bit for the the Hollywood indies. Then that kind of yeah scooted in directly it's, after this. It's kind of like Easy Rider and all of that. Yeah, sort of it's thing. interesting that a big budget movie. And again, this is how the business works and how it should work. You, you got to have these these big budget movies and these big hits so you can generate all the little stuff that's in, in between because all that little stuff in between helps then influence the next big thing and then they just keeps feeding off each other and that and that's what sure. planet of the apes did uh, lake powell utah is where they shot the crashed rocket ship and uh, it's very beautiful i'd like to visit that place if i wonder if it still looks the same but well, no next ggtmc uh, road trip will be to the uh, what was it called lake powell utah that is a hell of a trip that's where, that is where we're going that's a hell of a trip brother the, uh, we will drive it the, on our uh, bikes the yeah, on our bikes yes the uh, but no I, I agree with you this is this is star power used for a very good purpose. Not 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 sure. not to raise political issues as much as to comment on them. And yes. and I just found it fascinating because again, Heston. Not only we don't even need to talk about his politics, but we, we let's talk about the fact that he was a religious man too. So here sure. he is in a movie that's questioning a bunch of religious aspects of our society. Sure. Sure, but again, but Heston, Heston was a pretty. But that's what I keep going back to is that you know Heston was, for all of all of the things that you know, he was an intelligent man. Criticized for he was he was a very he was a very well rounded fella. Yeah, uh, who you know was very open to uh, ideas and to exploring yeah. ideas. He believed I, I what he believed. I, don't, I I never ever 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 got the sense when he was on screen doing what he did. That he was being cynical about it, or that he was cashing in just to cash in. Yeah, I never. I always got that he was interested in the things that he was saying, uh, even when he was kind of just being Charlton Heston. Yeah, I believe. Uh, I believe he believed what he believed, but I believe he also, like any smart person, and this is my opinion of myself, I have my beliefs, but I question everything. Because sure. I and think you have to, you have to question I, everything. Well, sure. What, what do, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, we, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you're really doing yourself a disservice to to not uh, to not want to hear things or, or, or to to not question things. I mean, Correct. that's. Right. Doing- I, I don't. I don't. I, I can't. I can't fathom 
how you can live your life any other way. I, I mean, yeah. I, I suppose there are people who who are, are happy with that. I, I can't I can't fathom it. But yeah. uh, whatever, man. I, I'm not them. You question everything. Well, you, know, I, you always question everything, and that's the way it, you know you look into it, and that's just the way it is. Well, that's why like Chuck says at the end, you know, never trust anybody over thirty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does so, say that. Said the, said the two forty-seven year old. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Don't trust a word we say. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I'm 48. So ah, <laughs> oh, you suck. A little older than you right now, but you'll well, be. That just means you'll be dead before me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, at least by the numbers game, you're correct. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but no, not I, the way I live life. But the 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 important thing is is that again, I think the movie is. Is telling us it's 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 what all great science fiction really does. It it doesn't just portray one societal ill or flagrant law against right. uh, what right. we do or anything. It's showing us the whole picture. It's showing us right. not only does this perhaps play as an allegory toward race relations in America, but maybe it's also goes even deeper. Maybe it's a religious problem. Maybe it's right. a science problem. Maybe it's just flat out right. a problem maybe it's a right. man's dominance on maybe, the earth problem which maybe it's a maybe it's the maybe it's the nature of being human yes maybe it's you know maybe it's something that is completely inescapable because we are who you know we are as a species correct uh and we've gotten up to this point maybe we shouldn't have gotten up to this point. maybe we maybe will we get beyond it maybe yeah. we won't yeah um, maybe we're supposed to only that, live that, to be 48 well, that's the, that's the beauty <laughs> yeah right uh, <laughs> uh you uh but that that's the beauty of it right i mean i keep i keep thinking uh, this it sparks horrible. it sparks things it sparks things and it does i it think does. good this, entertainment this, this does is what, that. this is what this is what i go back to when i go back to the falcon and winter soldier series and i don't want to really get into it but you know, like I like I said when I we initially talked about it, you know, briefly, I you know it's a it's a good series. It brings up some interesting stuff. It goes it goes into interesting areas, and then it just stops dead to to lecture you and point fingers and you it know does the uh, fucking snidely it does, fucking shitty. It does the Steven Seagal and, thing. It does the on dangerous ground thing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's dude. That is not how you do it. I know it's not. <laughs> I know you're not you're, you're uh, preaching to the choir I, there. Oh, but, but but yeah, well, but I there's there's that there's the uh, the choir out out there who are not you and I. Um, I, I just you know, but this is the kind of thing where you know it's still it's still heavy. This movie, uh, Planet of the Apes, is still heavy. The, the series is still heavy, uh, but I don't. I I never found it to be heavy-handed. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, because I, I thought that it was always, yeah, it, it is, it's always been very intelligent about it. It's always been very, you know, we're, we're presenting all these things to you. Now you can dwell on that. And that's why I think it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant thing, uh, that the movie does not, has no, uh, music at the end. There's yeah. none, yeah. no music. Yeah. Uh, and that was like unheard of. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's two things about but, the music to this. One, the decision to not do it at the end is amazing, but also sure. the decision by well, Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith, did, yeah, uh, great, uh, great uh, score for the film. Man. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. So I'm I'm lukewarm on Goldsmith a lot of times, but Jerry Usually, Goldsmith yeah. here, what I love about what he does here, he does this. <clears throat> this is Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, I'm losing my voice. This is Jerry uh -oh. Goldsmith doing like Ennio Morricone. He's he's avant garde here. He's 
Yes. He's messing with pots and pans yeah. yeah, and forks and knives, and he's having a good time. And it's one of the most memorable scores you'll ever hear. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, it, 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 it kind of it seeps into your uh, subconscious, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it influenced a whole generation of uh, composers. I think. I mean, it's oh, one of the most influential yeah, yeah. scores ever yeah. done. But but you know, a good way to put this movie to me too is I've I've always said this when it comes to political messages or not even just political messages, but let's just say messages on anything, be it uh, you know calories in a hamburger. It's not about <gasps> it's, calories in a hamburger. It's about the saturation within the material it's not about drowning in it you don't want to drown in it but you want to be absorbed into it and that's kind of what you're saying with the falcon and the winter soldier and this is where i agree with you too and the the on deadly ground thing is you you absorb throughout the thing and it gets you thinking but then you're already thinking about it and then somebody comes along and decides to tell you everything that you have been thinking all along and that's that's an insult at that point, it becomes an insult because well, yeah, you're assuming it now. It completely discredits any intelligence that you yeah, have. Yeah. It completely assumes now, like so many things that involve censorship or anything else, that a human being is not smart enough to see the difference. Right, 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 right. right. Which yeah, is no, 100%. a total insult. So, anyway. I, I, I completely agree. Let's, let's, talk, um, let's, let's talk more about some apes. <laughs> oh, I love apes. So, uh,. <laughs> So one of the other things that I like about the the entire Ape series uh, is that uh, none of the films, none of them, uh, has a happy ending. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them nihilistic so much uh, as they're um, like melancholically That's... fatalistic. Um, because this yeah. is the way that yeah, I agree. Well, th- this is the way that society is headed, uh, and absolutely nothing good will come of the uh, the path that we're on. Um, you know, it, it never says that we can change our course. It, it just is, it, it, there's this, there's this, um, uh, uh, resignation, uh, to the, the earth's destruction, no matter who runs things, because that's human nature. And I think that if you look at the, uh, the bad things that happen in the film, uh, it's just about always, uh, initially instigated by humans mutated or not, uh, and, and throughout the, uh, the series and the apes. Uh, the apes then in the movies simply follow in man's footsteps, you know, monkey see, monkey do, uh, sort of way. Yeah. Um, I think they even say hum- and, human see, human do in this. I think they say. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, and you know that's that's kind of uh, you know that I mean like I, like I said before that's kind of why the uh, the Taylor character works as well as he does, uh, and then the uh, the Franciscus uh, character in the in uh, beneath uh, Planet of the Apes, um, so. You know, uh, another thing that I like here is that uh, this is uh, another one of those uh, science fiction pictures that mixes uh, sort of uh, primitive survival elements with like more traditional science fiction elements. Even though uh, the more spaceshipy, ray gunny stuff isn't like dwelled on all that long, mm. um, but I, I, I've always loved that, uh, and that's kind of why I've always liked things like cosmic horror and like the Aliens uh, series and uh, all of that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so, really quickly about uh, Franklin J. Schaffner. His name doesn't really get thrown around a hell of a lot. Um, but, you know, I find it funny in that regard because he's made movies like uh, Patton and Papillon uh, mm-hmm. that are very, very, very widely regarded. Uh, and you could see that the man had a very keen eye yeah. uh, and a very uh, certain sense of style. And he was... Um, he was uh, a guy, he was a director who was uh, adaptable. 
uh, from his uh, his time working in uh, in TV. Um, I think that um, kind of a little bit lighter here. Uh, I think that uh, if the movie is uh, if this movie is remembered at all, uh, it should be for one of the most epic sequences of uh, confoundment by Net uh, in the uh, the history of cinema. Yeah. Um, yeah. Come on, man. It's there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I think it is. At, 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 oh, dude, come on. Uh, so much net confoundment. Um, so I, I, I don't know if this film is profound per se. I kind of tend to think that it is, but I think that it's also, it's just, it's just, it is a, a, a letter perfect use of analogy uh, to make a point and illustrate the, uh, the fears uh, the paranoia is prevalent in the culture then and now. Uh, you know, I'm not too sure that you know the these boogeymen uh, that it uh, that it illustrates aren't still with us today. I, in fact, I think they are. Uh, but you know, I think that that makes it even more universal uh, and helps it uh, stand the uh, the test of time, despite the clear um, you know stylistic markings. Uh, of when this was produced, and they are certainly in there. I mean, you could tell that this was a movie produced at a certain point in time. Um, and I think that that's kind of... I, I, I don't know that the uh, the new trilogy, as much as I like it, and I do like it quite a bit, uh, I don't think that it, it is doing the same thing, uh, because I think that that is much more in, involved in spectacle, and I don't really want to... Obviously, I don't really want to get into that too much, because we're talking about this movie, not that movie. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, no, I think that this is one of those things that uh, it just it, it it works. It fires on all cylinders. Uh, it was it was ballsy then. I think it's ballsy now uh, if people are willing to give it the uh, the 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 time and the chance uh, to uh, to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a great little movie. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you have uh, you have some more to uh, to kind of yeah. drive home on that. No, I had a few more things. Um, All right. I, I, again, I think the one of the most interesting things is not just Heston's performance, but that character in general. Uh, in that he is this kind of, you know, misanthropic, very profound. Dude, he does not want to be on Earth at all. No. He doesn't want to be there at all. Careful what you wish for. And every time the other astronauts are kind of talking about their wanting to be here and be there and everything else, he's kind of poo-pooing everything they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's very interesting the way his character and, – and you you still get behind him. You still get behind this character as almost a hero type. But he's not really a hero. He's really a, a survivalist or a, a, a protagonist. Well, he's, he's a protagonist, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to move the story forward. And, yes. uh, and as you said, I mean, and I think you said it well, the movie is, the movie is, the series is, it's very fatalistic. Uh, yes. nihilism is not the word I would use either. I agree with you, but it, there certainly is a level of pessimism to the whole thing, uh, which is close to nihilism, but I think the two are different to be honest with you. I think nihilism is more uh, bleak. They are absolutely. Different. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a bleakness to nihilism as opposed to pessimism, which is just a, yes. Yeah, well, that kind of sucks. You know, that's kind of pessimistic. Yeah. Looking. Well, well, pessim- yeah, pessimism is is kind of Murphy's law, where nihilism is there's you we're all doomed. Yeah, there's no hope. That's right. <laughs> but uh, I, I it does, and, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I I like the decision by Sayus though at the end of the film to not push his soldiers towards the Heston character because now he's going to teach Heston the ultimate lesson. He's yes. going to show him something that he knows is going to break his brain. 
and yep. uh, it's very genius. And it's such a counter to the story of the movie and to the the story of the hero structure. It's such a counter, and I think that's why the ending is so profound and has stuck with us for so long and still works. And I'm not going to give it away here. Most folks probably know it by now. It's been aped, quote-unquote, <laughs> by so many other things and talked about. And, uh, you know, a twist, a twist, all those kind of things. You can say all that stuff, but the truth is, the ending is what I can I, I see it as a punch in the gut, and that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this sto- the whole story is a punch in the gut. It's a wake up call, and not in an overly political way, but in a way that we should be looking at what we are, not as white people well, or it, as black it, people it, or it, anything. No, like it, because it removes po- it removes politics. Yeah. It removes politics. It says it says that listen, Dick. Yeah. You're being an asshole. Yeah. Stop being an asshole. This is what you're going for if you keep being an asshole. That's yeah. what the, yeah. the basic gist of the movie and the series essentially is yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's a commentary there that says, you know, look, you know, we could make this world a better place, but it's on us. It's not sure. on, you know, it's not on how much money we got, not on, you know, what country we live in. It's not on any of that. It's on us. So there's a level of that in there, too, and I think it's pretty genius. Um, I do find it interesting, though, that Heston, he cozies up to the lady pretty quickly in the movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> he really well, does. Well, I mean, it is Linda Harris. I mean, so. yeah, well, yeah, she's very good looking, but, I mean, he, he cozies uh, up yeah. to her pretty quick and stuff. And I, I do think the uh, the the fact that he gets the hose every now and then when he gets he gets, starts to get a little <laughs> starts to get a little Heston horny, he gets the hose, a lot of H's in uh-huh. there, the horny hose. It does what it's told her. It gets the hose. And we we should say, too, there is a level of comedy in this story, too, which I think is also quite a genius element. There's It's little bits and pieces, but it works. The uh, ape smoking the cigar, the gorilla the gorilla guard smoking the cigar makes me laugh every time I see it. Yeah. Um, well, I think that was Buck Cartalian. Yeah, and uh, he, he's the one that walks the most like an ape. It's very strange that he yeah, decided that yeah. he was going to go full ape. Everybody else was kind of like, no, 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 we're not going to go all the way. But that guy... The one that's doing the most human thing, which is smoking a cigar, is going to go full age. Committed. Yeah. And Zayas, I think, smokes a pipe. So, again, there's commentary there, too, that the intelligentsia is so smart, but they are knowingly destroying their bodies because that's what human beings do. So now the apes are at the top of the food chain, so they're doing the same thing. So there's all kinds of commentary. The movie's layered like you wouldn't believe. It's It's like a really fat biscuit. You know, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and and I think that you could even you know go back to stuff like uh, uh, Orwell's Animal Farm. Oh yeah, uh, in in uh, in terms of uh, what this thing is is uh, is doing and saying. Yeah, uh, in a lot of ways. So. And there's a lot of great. Cam- I mean, it's a simple concept, but there's a lot of great camera work in this movie. Maybe even more than some oh, of yeah, Schaefer's. Yeah. Maybe more than some of his other films. Although I do remember some really good paper uh, paperwork. I remember on, some really Pat, good. Look at the look at the very first shot of Patton. Just Patton, to, I mean, Patton is good, and Papillon's got a few moments too that are really really striking. But this one has some really cool kind of avant garde stuff. Like at one point they follow a character over, and then the camera flips over upside down. Yep, yep. Those are simple tricks, but man, they work when when they're in the right story. They really work. And this one, it works. Uh, there's some Dutch angle yeah. stuff a little bit. Uh, and, of course, with the score being kind of obtuse and kind of strange, it all just kind of works. And it's just one of those moments in Hollywood where, in my opinion, Hollywood just got it right. 
Right. It's just yes. it's one of those films. I mean, these these happen. You know, they happen every now and then. I know we joke around about Hollywood and everything else and how they can't get things right, and that's that's every cinema cinema goer or cynist, uh, uh, you know, complaint. But every now and then they get it right, and this is one where I think for the most part, almost completely through from beginning to the end, they completely get it right. And uh, it's it's amazing for that. And it deserves all the uh, popularity it's gained over the years and all the conversations it started. Uh, it deserves all that. And uh, it's pretty amazing, really, what this... And how well this film holds up is, yeah. is also uh, a very amazing thing to kind of look back, but... I you know totes my goats. Yeah, I mean this is one of those films that I saw at a young age that really kind of piqued my interest. I mean, of course I had sci-fi, you know, I had Twilight Zone and Outer Limits reruns that I would watch. And those would kind of spark my interest in science fiction as well, but this one really kind of sparked my interest in science fiction outside of the space opera, which don't get me wrong, there's room for the space opera too. The space opera's great. It's a western in space. What's 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 not to like about that? But um there's more to science fiction than spaceships and swords. Uh, a lot of times science fiction is just, oh, I got an idea. What if, and that's all, it's just those two words. What if, you know, and I think that those are two of the most important words we can ask as a, as a race, as a society, as anything. We, you know, we need to ask the what ifs. Um, and I really don't have much more to add. I think everybody's really good in the movie. Uh, Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell are really great as the two chimps. Uh, Zira and Cornelius. Uh, Zayas is a great performance. Although I, I have to tell you, Todd, there is a big part of me that wishes Edward G. Robinson would have gotten cast because he originally was cast <laughs> yes. as Zayas. And there's so much of me that wants to say, mm, yeah, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. we got yeah, the <laughs> log. Yeah, yeah, we're going to cut your brain. See, see? Uh, <laughs> there's just so much of me that would have loved to have seen that. But the Zayas performance is very good. Uh, yeah, well. yeah, he's really, really good in the movie, and uh, it's 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 just it's a very well thought out. Maybe if there's any fault to the movie at all, in my opinion, uh, it's that the pacing is a little off and a little wonky at times. Um, right there, there are some scenes that kind of play out for a while, like the scene where he's sneaking around the compound. It seems to go on like a, a hair too long and. And there's, you know, th- these are minor criticisms. Again, they're not, but uh, well, you know. cer- certainly, yeah, certainly, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. Um, but but it, I, 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 there's a lot of forgiveness going on. Yeah. Uh, because this thing is such of uh, of such a high quality, uh, just in general. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, so. Yep. All right, I'll kick it over to you for Maker Breaks MVTs. Awesome. So, uh, Maker Break is the scene where. Uh, uh, Taylor uh, finds his uh, compatriot there in the uh, the town square, village square, whatever. Uh, I think. Uh, I think that this really nails home all of the horror uh, and the the full uh, seriousness of what could be seen as uh, a ridiculous scenario in other hands. Um, MVT. Uh, I think that while. John Chambers and the makeup goes a long way in selling the story. I think that the performances underneath the makeup, uh, Heston included, uh, really drives it all home. So I'm going to go with that. Kind of a cheat a little bit. but um, And score for me, 8.5 out of 10. Uh, I mean, this thing is is so good. Uh, I, I love the original series, like I said. Uh, I, I really... 
also, like I said, you know, I, I do like the uh, the the newer series as well, but I think it's a, a completely different animal. It is a different uh, I animal. I think they're very much apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like the first one of those, uh, and I haven't I seen... I thought it was okay. Yeah, I didn't. I haven't seen the last one still, but I did really like that middle one uh, quite a bit. The uh, was it? Uh, it's not war. It's uh, I don't know because it's yeah. it's just so they're just so yeah. out of order yeah. in my thinking for how I they're gotta, titled. That I got to be in the mood for heavy CGI to watch them. Um, sure. So sometimes I'm in that mood, and sometimes I'm not. And uh, I haven't went and watched the last one yet because I'm just not in the mood for the CGI lately. So there you go. Uh, I get it. I get it. Just a. Again, another little weird moment for me. Um, Completely valid. My make or break is a really weird moment in the movie, but it just it it it's a profound moment for me. It was when I was a kid, and it still is now. And it's the moment when Charlton Heston makes a paper airplane. Uh, okay. And he throws right. it, and Roddy McDowell's reaction. Yep. Is some of the best acting I have ever seen in movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is such a great moment. Uh, it is both funny. And it is a genuine moment. Uh, at least it feels like a genuine moment of what in the fuck was that? Uh-huh. <laughs> and you almost think to he, yourself. He almost has the, the Walbergian uh, smell to fart. Oh, my uh, God. Face. Yeah, he does. And it, it's one of those moments where you almost feel like it may have been improvised on the day or something. Uh, <laughs> because it's just it's just it's such a great moment. And I love that moment to this day. And when I saw it, I couldn't wait for it to happen. And I knew when it was coming and then it happened. And it just makes me smile every time. So it, it, it is a really small moment in the movie. But, man, it means so much to me. Uh, my MVT, I'm going to go with Schaffner on this one. Uh, I agree with you. The guy a, was a talented director. Uh, had a really good run there with uh you know Patton, papillon and planet of the apes everything with a p which is kind of yes. weird do you think about that that was kind of strange he made a pretty good vietnam post-vietnam movie with uh, chris christopherson i think it was called coming home or something it was pretty good um and uh i think that's what it was called it sounds like the same title yes. of the one that was in the the ashby film what was that one called is that one called coming home Jeez, that was uh john boyd wasn't it yeah was that called coming home as well there's two coming uh home? yes maybe it's a remake no but, uh, yeah. Fuck. Who knows? Anyway, we're old. I don't remember. Yeah, forty-eight. That's the end. Um, well, for you. <laughs> well, you're forty-seven. For <laughs> you, old man. Uh, I will say this: uh, I'm in agreement with you on just about everything with this movie, and I love it just a little bit more than you. I give this one a nine out of ten. I think yeah. it's one of the preeminent and uh, great science fiction movies that Hollywood has ever turned out. There we go. Nice. Um, okay, that is the big show for us. Um, let's get into what we will be doing next week. Do you want to talk about what you're picking? I am picking The Night Flyer. That's right. Uh, 1997, directed by Mark Pavia, uh, starring one Miguel Ferrer. Yes. Uh, and uh, based on a, a short story by Mr. Stefan King. Not to be uh, confused with Stefan Urkel. Yeah, one that I thought was unfilmable, and uh, I was wrong. Right? I was wrong. You were incorrect, Amundo. Uh, that between that and the Lawnmower Man, uh, one to be- <laughs> well, well, one to one better to a better degree than the other. Uh, I will say those are two stories I never thought would be filmable, and now I, I you know, I've been proven wrong. Uh, well, maybe even- <laughs> Lawnmower Man might still be. <laughs> yeah, it, it might still be. Would be great if somebody would actually film it like the story is told. Yeah, right. Um, I'm going to pick. I tell you what. I I'm going to pick uh, Walter, our good friend Walter, who called in and has 
done us so much favors and calling in and being part of the show and everything. And I want to pay him back a little bit. A long time ago, he sent me an email asking if we've ever covered a particular film, and I and you know we have not. So I'm going to cover one that Walter has been asking us to cover, and that is uh, Doris Wishman's A Night to Dismember from 1983. So uh, Doris Wishman. Uh, Maybe a bit of a controversial filmmaker, does certainly a unique filmmaker, and uh, I don't think we've ever done Doris Wishman on the show. We've never done a Mark Pavia either, so nope. there we go. Nope, nope, nope. First all around. Um, I just want to give everybody a heads up uh, that's in the East Coast area. I'll be up that way at some point in the next couple of weeks, so we were uh, recording some things out of sequence. So some things might sound odd over the next couple of weeks, but that's because we're getting ready to record a review as soon as I get done ending this show for a show two weeks from now. <laughs> so if, things, if things sound weird, then uh, so be it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll be in the uh, Baltimore area. If anybody wants to hang out or anything, reach out to me. You know how to get a hold of me. I'm out there. All right. Uh, that is all I will say. I will say now the famous last words of this podcast, which is adios. Adios. Go ape. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.